0: Stairwells, a movie podcast. Uh, I'm Autumn, and I'm joined as always by Neve.
1: Hi, I'm Neve.
0: And uh, let's talk about what this episode is.
2: Or Neve,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got to listen past Bella Lugosi's dead to find out the context of that joke. <laughs> um. Okay. So, as you probably know, we took an off week. Ooh. Um, it was Thanksgiving, and we just
3: we, we- could have. We, we could, could have. have recorded.
0: We had the time and we were just you you asked me, you're like, Hey, do you wanna record tonight or I don't remember what it was. Watch the whole
1: or watch Gundam? I don't remember. Regardless. We I think we had already we'd watched we had watched the whole. Mm-hmm. And so it was do you want to just record an episode about the whole? Or do you want to watch Gundam and just hang out?
0: Yeah. And we were like and I was like, Oh, let's record and then like two minutes later I was like
1: I just want to watch Gundam and not do anything. Yeah, we just decided. I I said this in the Discord th- this much, but like most of the time when we miss weeks on this podcast, it's because of like physical and/or mental health reasons. Yeah, and so it's kind of nice to just have like an actual vacation because of a holiday, or we're just like, eh, let's just not record. It's yeah, it was Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving I'm sleepy. I eat turkey. Yeah. Man, Nora
0: and I messed up. Cause Okay, so I made that turkey. We're back in the no homophobia zone. We're so off topic, but whatever. <laughs> We're not actually back in
1: the no homophobia, yet, homophobia zone. But I made, you homophobes are getting this content for free. You get the tangents for free. <laughs> Do you see what you're missing with your hatred of gay people? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I should explain. If people don't know... <laughs> we oftentimes put bonus content after Bella Lugosi's Dead, and the in joke is that if you skip that content, if you don't listen to all of Bella Lugosi's Dead, you're a homophobe, and yeah. because you're a homophobe, you don't get access to the to the just total <laughs> off-topic bullshit we talk yeah, about. Yeah, some
1: people will go, "Oh, Bella Lugosi's Dead." Let me just press next episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those people are homophobes. Yeah. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Chris.
0: <laughs> I love Chris. <laughs> yeah. I was literally thinking today, I'm just going to flatter Chris briefly. I was literally thinking today. Can you help to Can you listener tell that we both have, have it, had a gin and tonic at this point? Um I've had a full one,
1: you've had like half of one. Uh, so we've two-thirds. had thirds. <laughs> so you're more drunk than me is what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, I was literally thinking today, because Pris hasn't been feeling well, I haven't seen her tweet much, I was like, oh, I miss
1: Pris. I miss her presence on the timeline. hmm Um, anyway,
0: shout-outs to Pris. Good
1: Man, well Pris soon. really doing the thing of getting in a podcaster's good graces just by saying nice things about their podcast.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pris is also in my good graces because she is a close personal friend, but yes, she does say nice things about my podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just feel like I started following... Chris like right around the time uh-huh. that she started listening through ornate stairwells. So just really expedited <laughs> the process for me. <laughs> 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 Which is a little bit more like, yeah you're kind of feeling out.
0: So, okay. So Thanksgiving day, Nora and I fucked up. I take the Turkey out of the oven.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, I take it out of the roasting tray to set it somewhere to rest um, so that I can make the gravy in the roasting tray, I take a little bite of some skin that was stuck to the bottom of the roasting tray, and I'm like, "Oh no, turkey's too salty. I fucked up. Oh no, this is gonna be terrible." Had a crisis of confidence.
1: You After, text me. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, yeah." You put the salt on the outside. Of course, the skin's gonna be salty, and well, the I, meat in the inside's no, really I fun. knew
0: that. I knew that in my logical brain, but I was just so. Normally I only cook for Nora and me. And so mm. like I can set my like
1: this is me. I'm I'm sensitive. Emily, Emily's parents and a toddler.
0: Yeah, I'm sensitive and I'm a, I'm extra sensitive about my cooking and so I was feeling anxiety about that and I was like, "Oh no, I fucked it up." So, once the turkey's rested a little while, I cut into it. Nora and I start nibbling off the carcass a little bit. We start like like, I cut off the breast, but then there's like still a bunch of white meat that's kind of stuck to the bone. Nora and I eat that. I legit like had the turkey coma thing like before we got here. <laughs> I was, I was in a state around three o'clock <laughs> on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> um, which is to say, we, we ended up skipping stairwells last week. This week, we had an option. The original plan was. We were going to... Tonight. Sorry. Well, well, okay. I'm going to rewind a little bit. So in that time off, we watched The whole the Siaming Long film. We were like, oh, maybe we'll do an episode about The Hole. And we ended up skipping this that week. Um, Sorry, you looked at me and I thought you were looking at the door. <laughs> As if like a cat was coming in or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we watched uh, Mobile Suit gummon Mobile Suit Gundam 0080, War in the Pocket. Those are going to be our two main segments for this episode. Yeah. And we thought about recording an episode about that. We skipped. And so then we arrive at tonight. Our idea was, well, we'll watch two episodes of Twin Peaks. And then on Sunday, we'll record Stairwells. And you and I were talking earlier this evening. And I was like, hey, I think I've watched a bunch of movies. We have we have to talk about war in the pocket. We have to talk about the hole. We have to talk about the first ep- eight, the first eighteen episodes. Wow, I shouldn't have had that gin and tonic. The first eighteen <laughs> episodes of Turn A Gundam, and we'll have to talk about two episodes of Twin Peaks. You were talking on Voip Life this week about how the um. Thank you, you've <laughs> Nia blessedly has given me her empty glass and has taken the gin and tonic away from me. <laughs> um. And so, I was like, "You were talking on Voip Life about how the the Twin Peaks episodes are getting a little long in the tooth, and we need to like adjust how we do it."
1: Yeah, and I I think you're totally right.
0: And I I the was synopses
1: just go too long for what we're even doing with them.
0: It was validating to hear you and M say that. Of like, okay, my gut instinct that this is going too long is correct, and we will fix that. But regardless, even if we do fix that. We were on track to record a, like, five-hour episode, if we yeah. talked about all those things.
1: Yeah. Uh An entire Gundam OVA, like, the first third of a, one of the best Gundam shows ever made. Yeah. The whole, by timing long, which we loved. Yes. Um Two episodes of Twin Peaks, where even if we just don't do synopses, we're still probably going to have lots of random shit to talk about. Yeah. Um... And then I, I the other thing on top of all of this is, uh, like I, f- I feel like I talk about this on, around the long fire on the, the voip or something. Um, I feel like I've talked this. I've been in like a big depression hole for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of that is I mostly only watch anime when I'm depressed because mm-hmm. it it goes down smooth. It does. It goes especially when you put on a dub. Ooh, that goes down smooth. The thing that the thing that I have discovered.
0: <clears throat> in this, like, turn A Gundam journey, which we will address soon, um, is that I hate watching TV, or I hate watching anime on my TV. It's, when you and I hang out, I've been doing that, and it's easier because there's another person there, but when there's not another person there, I am liable to, like, open up another device and look at it, which you can't do with anime because it's subtitled. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I have remembered slash discovered that Watching anime on my tablet, boy, that goes down smooth. Yeah. Because I can just lay in bed and just watch it. It's so, cool. ooh, that's the yeah. good shit.
1: Um, so, yeah, there, there's, one, I've been depressed. Mm. Two, uh, in, like, slightly over two weeks, Connor and I are recording the New Year's special for Ghost Divers about Nana the manga, which I have read before, but I do want to reread it before we get to it. Um, and I've had a very busy week. And this weekend is not going to be any less busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm only on volume, like starting volume six of 21 right now. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of Nana to get through. Mm-hmm. Which I love. It's going to be fun. But also that's like most of my free time when I'm not doing things for my four podcasts. Mm-hmm. And when I'm at work, I, one, I just. I need to put on things that, like, aren't going to be super distracting right now. Not that I'm ever super distracted when I'm watching a movie, but, like, my stuff's a little bit more divided then. hmm Because I still am glancing down at a screen. I, the end of next week, I have, like, a big presentation for literally, like, everything I've been working on for months. mm mm-hmm. um, There's this, like, entire section of products that I've been working on, and I have to, like, have a big meeting about all of it and have it all done. Mm-hmm. So also with that, I'm not watching movies while I'm doing that. Yeah. The other thing happening is that I was just sort of casually re-listening to. I was deciding to do the onion method of listening to to friends at the table just because I thought it would be funny. Do you know this? No. The onion method. No. I'll show you it in a second. Uh, but the onion method currently does not include the seasons past. Uh, the last higher
2: Okay.
1: And so I was like, well, they're going to do the next part of, like, the next season of the their sci-fi campaign. They're going to do Palisade. Mm-hmm. I should start with Partisan, and then I'll, like, just get into the actual Onion method. And I just finished, you know, when I was starting this, I just finished whatever their, their last season was. I'm trying to remember that. Um, and So I'm like, I'm not going to just, like, immediately re-listen to that. So... um. I have in my podcast app just the full Onion method set up, but I was first listening through Partisan, and now Palisades coming up, and there's all the Road to Palisade stuff, which I listened to as it was releasing. But now that I've gotten to the end of Partisan, I want to listen to that again, and so I finished Partisan, but now in the cup and I did the math because I've been listening to it on the the Patreon feed side. I know how many weeks about it's going to be until Palisade comes, which means I need to listen through podcasts at a clip. You 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 gotta let go of this one. So You gotta you gotta put this one in the (laughs) rear view, my friend.
0: Something I was asking you earlier today, I was like, how what can I take off your plate? I'll let it steer wheels this week, sure, blah 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 blah. I'm telling you right now, you just gotta you gotta if there's one thing you can drop, it's being current on Friends of the Table. There will always be more friends at the table. They make so much of it.
1: <laughs> all I'm saying is that I just want to get through the road to Palisade. By the time that they get to Palisade, my, my re-listen to it. Uh, but I was also catching up on a bunch of podcasts because I was watching a bunch of anime. So all I've done this week at work is work or listen to pod Or work while listening to podcasts.
0: I just want you to know... A new Brandon Sanderson book came out last week, and I've been busy enough, that I'm like, I'll get to it soon. You can put a pause on Friends at the Table. If I cannot listen to the end of Mistborn Era 2 for a week or two,
1: you can catch up on Friends at the Table
0: in January. I was going to say something
1: really mean, but I'm not going to say something really no, mean. No, say it. Say it. Say it. I was just going to say, but Friends at the Table is better than Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> That's true.
0: <laughs> okay, as you were talking, so I have... I. Used to be a friends of the table super fan um, I was at one point going to get a Friends of the table tattoo um, have fallen off because um, it was a thing that I associated with like a really shitty terrible god-awful ex that I have mm-hmm. um, And as you were talking just now, I, I felt the gear start turning like, oh, you know what? I don't I don't think about friends at the table and associate it with the worst person I've ever met. I could I could I could get back in. Yeah. I could 2023. I could I could
1: Did you did you listen to Partisan?
0: Um I was that when you fell off. So I listened to a good chunk of Partisan and was not enjoying that as much as some of their other season. The the other problem was that one, I had this ex that I associated it with and that was a bad scene. Um and also I was just like, Man, they finished higher on. Man. I miss Hyron. And I'm like listening to Partisan, and I'm like, my heart's just not in this like it was in Spring and Hyron, which happens sometimes. Like, I, I when Winter and Hyron started, I was like, man, my heart's not in this like counterweight. And then I gave it some time and I went and really gave Winter and Hyron a chance. And I absolutely loved every minute of it. I think Winter and Hyron is like some of the best stuff they've ever done. But yeah. there, when it was coming out, I was just like, oh, my heart's not in this right now you know the the one time that my heart was in it was Twilight Mirage where I was keeping up with Twilight Mirage week to week genuinely one of the most powerful moving uh media experiences of my lifetime um if you're listening to this and you don't like Twilight Mirage fuck you <laughs> fuck
2: you <laughs>
1: uh, Twilight Mirage is is really good it's very like high concept and I think I I Twilight Mirage is probably my favorite season. Um, Counterweight is, like, up there. Mm-hmm. But also, it's one of the... Some of their early seasons have, like, a certain charm to them, but also a certain shagginess.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Autumn and
0: hyron is, like, so loosey-goosey. And then in my head, I'm like, oh, they shake that all off for Counterweight. And then you go back and listen to Counterweight. No, that's loosey-goosey still. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Um the The characters in counterweight, I think is just my favorite like cast of characters, yeah, um, I can so vividly like see all of those characters I know there's, exactly what they look like. there's like in my more, head, I know like yeah i f I really understand their characters and their personalities, which happens with some of the other one, but like there are more characters that I like in hyron, but that's because
0: there are more characters in hyron, I yeah. think I think counterweight. Some of the magic of it is that, like, the the party is smaller and the, the faction game characters are so well sketched. But you don't have to, like, um, really dig into them, you know, mm-hmm. in the same way. Um,
1: oh, if, anyways, you're li-
0: if you're listening to this and you skip the
1: faction game episodes of Counterweight, fuck you. <laughs> uh, partisan is, I think, one of their most action-y. Mm-hmm. seasons um but i think it, it does the action better than any other season mm-hmm. um but it is i, would I agree think with like that. more combat focused yeah i would agree with that yeah but i listening to maybe
4: but, like, half of it
1: I I'm, I... I'm gonna say something vague because mm. i don't know how far you like do you know the fate of clementine cash no Just... okay there's a part where so there's a, a faction game that they do that I think goes a little bit long. So it's so, my least favorite part of it is the faction game. So I think was that when you fell off in the the faction game where they're like I think I through? like I think I got to the the faction game part of it
0: and I was like I got to be like Friends of the Table is demanding of my attention in a way that other podcasts are not in a way that audiobooks often are not and I was like in that faction game and I got an hour in and I was like, my head's not in this. I can't follow what's happening. I need to take a break from this. And I, at that moment I wasn't, I was like, I need to take a like weekend break from this. And I just didn't come back.
1: Yeah. I think the faction game goes a little long. There's some stuff. I think overall Partisans really well paced until you hit the fa- faction game. And I think then it gets a little bit long mm-hmm. um, in places where I, I wish some of the stuff was a little bit faster and tighter. After the faction game, uh, so at the end of the faction game, you get, like, the first fate of Clementine Kesh, and then a little bit later, you find out more about what happened after everything. Mm-hmm. The part where you find out more about what happened, genuinely one of my favorite... It's, like, up there in my head with, like, Animal Out of Context. What Levels that? of, like...
0: I remember having a, like, not controversial, but, like... I have a fr- favorite Friends of the Table episode that is not Animal Out of Context, and I remember telling people this and people being appalled. You you can continue talking because it's going to take me a minute to find this. Yeah.
1: Um, but no, it like I, and there's other episodes I think that that rival Animal Out of Context. There's a lot of stuff in Toilet Mirage that I think is fantastic. Yeah. But it is one of those where it's like a standalone. It's like a there's a self-contained story happening, uh, but it's also just incredible.
2: It's um,
1: um, it's it's either
0: Winter and Hieron twenty eight, what life looks like, or Winter and Hieron twenty nine, slow justice. I think it's I think it's Winter and Hieron twenty eight, um, where I I believe that is a heavy um, Samol episode that just like fucking wrecked me. It's yeah. like it's not. It's almost the end of Winner and Hyron. Um, it's not... It's not a, like event episode in the way Animal Out of Context is. And it's not like... I think it's the finale for one side of the game. Or something. Because that Winner and Hyron had two parties, right? Yeah. I think it's the finale for one side of those. But it's not like an event like that. It just... There was something about it that just fucking destroyed me. And I don't remember what it is right now. Right. The thing is I think I have a hint of it and I think it's like a little too like spoiler to talk about. Um so but yeah, I th- I think that's my favorite episode is what life looks like.
1: Um man, Twilight Mirage. Yeah. Man. Twilight Mirage legitimately one of the best like seasons of podcast or something.
3: Just,
0: yeah. just one of my, one of my favorite things. I'd put it up against fucking Rebels of the Neon God, or yeah, or Oathbringer. You know, <laughs> just like favorite things of mine that exist. Yeah, I'd put I'd put Twilight Mirage up against Berserk in my heart. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wow, one of those I really felt. <laughs> <laughs> the other one i kind of felt the last one i was like mm, yeah you do you do like those books i do really like this i do really fucking like stormlight archive i'm i'm very glad that i like read through all of i don't know it's the first of the way of kings way of kings um i'm glad i read through it so that i like understand what is this? Where where can I see the appeal in it? And then also where can I see why this just is not my thing? Mm-hmm. Um The thing is that every book after Way of Kings
0: is better than Way of Kings, but but they're not different. They're just better. Do did, did you did you think it was lit as fuck when blah 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 happens in Way of Kings? Man, you don't know how lit the the next shit's going to be. You don't know how cool the next twist is going to be. But it's yeah. it's not it doesn't change. It's just more.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the the fundamental thing that I came to is just the fact that I when I was reading Brandon Sanderson, I felt like every question had an answer. Mhm. Every question that I had had an uh, in, in-universe like lore explanation answer, and that's just not what I want out of books. Mm. I want to have questions that remain unanswered, that the purpose of them is that they are unanswered, that the purpose of them is that they evoke something in you that cannot be summarized or like put into a, like a universe. That's so, just what I want out of books. So what
0: maybe you want is, say, a fantasy series written by someone who... I don't know, spent her whole life studying like Taoism perhaps.
1: Yeah. I mean, I did, from <laughs> from what I, and I need to get back to it, but from when I read of Ursula K. Le Guin, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, this is also one of the things that I, I enjoyed going back to like myths and even sagas, which tend to be very uh, terse and matter of fact in their language, but there's just so much like weird, evocative stuff that appears at the edges. Mm-hmm. because it's just, like, these old storytelling forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you just get these great moments of, you know, I know you haven't listened to the latest Longfire. Yeah, I'm, um,
0: I'm maybe two episodes behind. I really enjoy Longfire, but I, you know.
1: Yeah, but, like, even just, like, the the little part in there of of going in, stumbling into, like, the the brother giving advice of my other brother, who is the one with the, like, power to support you in this case, uh, when he got here at the All Thing, uh, which is like this big assembly, he had a boil on his foot and it just burst. And so he, he's finally able to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so he's laying in the sack and he's going to have his foot sticking out. And what I want you to do, you look old. You look decrepit, both like of sight and body. Okay. I want you to go in there and I want you to stumble and reach out and grab his toe and yank it towards you. And then they go, this may be good advice but it does not seem like the advisable thing to do and then he actually goes through it and then there's this whole thing where he in that moment where the brother is feeling pain he then turns into this whole thing of like ah other people cannot feel the pain that you feel in your foot because it is close to you but for other people it is far away but you have recourse against your pain but this old man he has no recourse against the pain of the death of his son and he feels it keenly even though you cannot feel it and so the, the pain that you feel keenly in your foot like associate it with the pain that this old man is feeling and you the honorable thing to do as a man with a recourse to support someone would be to support this old man who has no recourse who has no power to, to do this case and it's just like this great moment of like (laughs) what seems like this man going to be like playing a practical joke like i want you to play a practical joke on my brother and then turns it into this moment of like what true leadership is. what an asshole (laughs) like he's like turning it into this thing of like how to like directly inspire someone to action to be a true leader. (laughs) and then his brother's like okay well i'm going what i'm going to do is i'm going to give you back the power that you gave me to be like a chieftain who has this power. And then this man who's just demonstrated the ability to be a true leader. To inspire people to like do these speeches. That make people feel like they want to go act to action. Goes oh no I don't want that. <laughs> it's great. Brandon Sanderson can never. <laughs> anyway. What the hell were we talking about? I don't know. Should we just get this into the episode? This has been such a messy episode.
0: Should we just get into it? Oh, we never okay, so so we had a choice before us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one side was to record tonight. Record tonight and one side was to watch Twin Peaks tonight record Sunday and
1: also probably watch some more Tournay. Probably a watch studio. some more Tournay.
0: Uh and so we told M and M was like, "Oh, you should record on Sunday so that you have more to talk about." M one, we proposed a funny gimmick of like doing timers on the episode that I think M was amused by. And two, M wants the long podcast.
1: Yeah. Because M listens to Stairwells <laughs> and wants a long podcast to listen to uh, because they will enjoy it. Emily, Emily does not listen to Stairwells. <laughs> Emily wanted the TV tonight. And wanted the TV tonight, yes, because she has started a new show that she's really into. It's by the showrunners. Another show she really liked. She wants to watch that show. And this was... I, I kind of knew in the back of my head. I'm like, Emily probably
0: wants the TV but <clears throat> emily was wise and said you can sleep in saturday morning you cannot sleep in monday morning yeah um i don't work till 11 tomorrow so like i can sleep in a little bit um i should check is it is it 11 or 11:30 regardless like i th- i think i i trusted the wisdom of you can sleep in tomorrow you can't sleep in monday um and so here we are recording this episode tonight. Um we've been recording for fifty minutes and haven't talked about any A of
1: single them. goddamn thing that we were gonna talk about.
0: Yep. So
1: is... M, you still got your long podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, eleven to three
1: thirty tomorrow. That's easy. It's I got neat need... um M you can thank Emily as well because Emily also said, Oh, by the way, the limes that we picked off of are our... I have a little tiny lime tree. Mm-hmm. Um that's the name Nadia. I gave it that name. Um, and I have like... Nadia? A... Nadia. Nadia? Nadia. So not the vampire movie no. that we watched at one time. No. It's had the a, a, a na- that name for years. Wisdom Tootin? No. <laughs> um, It's like where I do my little giving tea to Guanyin ceremony and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, we plucked some stuff and we put it in the fridge because it was ready to be plucked. Uh, need to be used mm-hmm. so M, you can thank emily because she was like you should make gin and tonics and that's how <laughs> we record for 51 minutes without talking about anything that we were supposed to be talking about so... so
0: that's segment one now let's get into segment two where we talk about all the okay segment zero was the <laughs> no homophobia zone that was segment one now let's get into segment two where we talk about all the other crap we watched um I ordered this in the spreadsheet a certain way and I'm I'm calling an audible that I did I did the ordering bad. I'm going to start at the top um just get this off out of the way. I watched Eternals um for a second time because because the Gods of Pop-Town Funk demanded that I watch Eternals again for some fucking reason. Um if you want to go give us five dollars a month on the Export Audio Patreon, you can find that by going to patreon.com slash exportaudio or exportaud.io. You can hear all my thoughts on Eternals. I thought that Pop Town came out really good. We get really deep and we get really shallow. You know? We yeah. talk about like we talk about like intense deep reads of what Eternals is doing with like world history and like superhero universes and and how I think all that stuff is like fundamentally bad and and awful for, for many reasons. We get like real in the weeds deep stuff. We also talk about like the shallowest shit, like I just complain about Marvel movies constantly, you know? Yeah. We just hate Marvel movies around here.
1: Yeah. Um so I, I could never do something like Pop Town.
0: I, I thought I thought Pop Town came out really, really well. Very happy with how Pop Town came. Yeah, out. that's for five dollar patrons. So if you want to hear that, um, you got to give us that. Also, heads up, our next Pop Town is about Bendy and the Ink Machine, which I'm probably gonna watch a Let's Play of, even though it's only a five hour game. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the fuck that is, but we got a video game this time, and I gotta figure out how I'm approaching that. Um,
1: I mean, you're gamer mode now; you can play it. Not that you I'm... wanna play it.
0: I'm gamer mode, but like my gamer mode is like I'm going to get high and lay on the couch and play Breath of the Wild and listen to podcasts because what I'm not when I'm gamer mode. So when some of our friends when Nora is gamer mode, she is sitting on the couch playing the Xbox. She is gaming. That's what she's there to do is to play the video game. When I'm gamer mode, it means that I actually have a podcast I'm really invested in catching up on and I have found a good game that permits me to do that. Right now it's Breath of the Wild for the third time. <laughs> because Breath of the Wild is one of the best video games. Um, so, so probably not going to play Minion Machine, probably just going to watch someone else play it. Okay.
1: Anyway, well, The other thing I think that, that makes more sense to do at this point, is the Of the Dead stuff that you watch. Yes. Because I can talk about... None of the Living Dead is one of my favorite horror movies ever. Yes. So, quickly,
0: before we move off Eternals... Also, I'm gonna give you shit about Don. D- minus D- for the stairs in Eternals. They were there. They actually kind of looked nice, but I resented that they were in Eternals. And they weren't really... They were pretty perfunctory. So, D-. minus. Yeah. Um, uh, alright. So, the other thing... So, you and I... <laughs> We're like, hey, let's take a week off. We've been working hard. Let's, you know, just chill. Nora and I, Nora has been like wanting to get something else going since Bag End ended. You know, we're, yeah. we're, Mordor Movie Night is on the horizon. Conversations have been had about Mordor Movie Night, but it hasn't quite gotten rolling yet. And so Nora wanted to start a new podcast. And I was like, she had an idea. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And it's like a, it's a great idea because I can be on it sometimes. Whatever season two is, we haven't decided it yet. But maybe I'm just not going to be on season two. But the new podcast, um, and I will try to get a link set up for this, Um, is called Pardon My Franchise. Um, There's not an easy way to find it. Pardon? I would encourage you... Um. Over at cohost.org slash autumnal, I have been doing weekly roundup posts of everything that's happening on the Export Audio Network. Going there and looking at the most recent weekly roundup post probably going to be the easiest way to find that right now until I take the 20 minutes it takes to set up a good link for that. Um, So that's autumnal autumnal on cohost. Go to the pin post. You'll find part of my franchise uh, where we're doing like long movie series and long movie series where there is a we'll say precipitous drop-off in cultural relevance is the nice yeah. way to say it <laughs> Um which
1: so I think when you talk about it and this is correct that like alien is like the border case right yeah
0: like Terminator and alien are the two franchises that we're like maybe but those franchises are kind of a little too relevant and also, what we're thinking more of generally is like they made how many Scorpion King movies yeah. like you know roughly how many aliens movies they've made because yeah. all the aliens movies kind of matter a v p thought to you it was the alien
2: <laughs> <laughs> like like I'm we, the aliens liker
0: like yeah. we could do we could do predator. Because, like, no one gives a shit about AVP Requiem. No one gives a shit about, like, the Robert Rodriguez, like, Predators movie from 2010 or whatever.
3: Yeah.
1: You know? Um... Anyway, I was just going to do a joke about how uh, Star Wars would not apply here, uh-huh. even though there is a precipitous fall off in relevancy <laughs> after the prequels. <laughs> just like talking about release order, yeah, obviously. yeah,
3: yeah.
0: The the sequel tr- trilogy there is a precipitous drop off in cultural relevance. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Not By not
1: return, in, like, marketing behind it and merchandising, <laughs> but in terms of cultural relevance. <laughs> they really did just drive off a cliff there at the end. <laughs> there's no, there's no, I think, like, Jackson said or something. There's no, like, random person that appears for, like, one minute in a, a shot in the background. It doesn't even have a line in, like, Rise of Skywalker. That people just inexplicably know the name of. Like, Boba Fett. (laughs) People just... Bosk. Yeah, Bosk. IG88. ig I fucking know who IG88 is. I know who Plo is. They never say IG88 anywhere in the movies. No. We all know. You, listener, probably know when I say IG88, you see that robot on your head.
0: You listen to A More Civilized Age. You have opinions about Ki-Adi-Mundi.
1: Yeah. Not you, Nia, because you don't listen to that. But people, I do listen to them Oh, you do. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I I tried to watch along, and then I was like, mm, I cannot do this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I watched Andor. That was yeah. Show, but um, also Emily really wanted to watch Andor. I'm so frustrated because she. I'm, I'm gonna her... say something slightly mean, but she has kind of mid taste in men. She loves Diego Luna. She loves Benedict Cumberbatch. Fuck you. Diego Luna is so hot in that show.
2: <laughs> Fuck off. He's mid. <laughs> Fuck off.
1: He's
0: a man. I stand Diego Luna. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's not even that good of an actor in the show. They just know how to use someone who's not a very good actor.
0: I'm a... listeners, go back and listen to our e 2 and Bien episode, and I just want you to like. I just want you to carry this context into going and listening to our episode where we're very complimentary of Diego Luna because he's good in that movie. He's a good actor. He's good in that movie. He's not.
1: He's not a good actor in Andor.
0: Whatever. We can't dwell on this. I'm only six episodes in, so we can't dwell on this. No one. No
1: one. Anyway, I feel like the closest that you have in Rise of Skywalker is Babu Frick, but they tried so hard in the movie for you to know Babu Frick. I mean, the thing that I've said... In a way that... They're not trying to get you to know who the fuck IG-88 is. You just see a cool-ass robot, and you know that robot's name somehow.
0: The thing that I've said many times is that, for better or worse, and often unintentionally, the Lucas movies constantly open up space. You can you can watch A New Hope and you can speculate about what's going to happen next or what happened before. You can watch Revenge of the Sith and you can wonder what happened in the two years between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. You can um, watch Revenge of the Sith and what happened in the 19 years between the prequels and the original trilogy. You can wonder what happened after Return of the Jedi. You can wonder about who's IG-88? Who's Plo Koon? Like it, like George Lucas movies open up like blank spaces for you to fill in in your mind. Th- this week, Nora and I had a twenty-minute conversation in a parking lot while she was like, we got to her work early. and We were just talking, and I like wrote in my head a fan fiction of like what what I would have what a- what I would have had Luke do after Return of the Jedi, like an arc for his character to go through after Return of the Jedi. That's a thing that Lucas movies invite you to do. The sequel trilogy, even the ones that I like, aka The Last Jedi, does not do this. Yeah. Like, like, the Disney method of filmmaking, because marketing so heavily centers in it, does not invite you to fill in gaps. When it introduces to you a person with a backstory, it is very explicitly like, oh, here's... Um, here's Finn, like, here's a hint of Finn's backstory so that we can pitch you a Disney Plus show. That doesn't invite me to think about, well, what was Finn up to before all this? It invites me to think about, I wonder if Finn will get a Disney Plus show. Oh, Oscar Isaac's not coming back. I guess not. You know? And, And Rise of Skywalker specifically is a movie about closing off all possibility space for that entire era of the galactic history. Like, that is... Every time... Every idea that is introduced in Last Jedi gets canceled out in Rise of Skywalker, and then Rise of Skywalker has, like, 20 ideas that it cancels out. They killed Chewbacca and then immediately undid it less than a minute later. Yeah. <laughs> there are no blank spaces in the sequel trilogy.
1: They have the whole thing between um, Ren and Kylo with the, like, communicating And then make it explicit that nobody else has this power, even though there's other stuff that happened in other movies and like books and things that you could like read as being in the same. Yeah,
0: I could I can write my fan fiction where, you know, Anakin and Padme are a dyad in the force, except for. When the concept of a dyad in the Force is introduced, you also have Palpatine saying, and these are the only people in the last 70,000 years who had this power. And it's like, well, I guess I couldn't write my fan fiction where these other people had this power. Yeah. You know? Guess I couldn't do that. Yeah. Shrug. I mean, you still can. I still can.
1: People still do, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. I. I, yeah. You absolutely can. It's just. Yeah. But it is like it. It still hits different. So anyway, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, one of the best fucking horror movies ever made. So we we started part I of it so much. We started part of my franchise, and we we're covering to start off the George Romero uh of the dead movies,
1: um, kicked it kind off. of by accident, right? You just like wanted yeah, to watch so... Night of the Living Dead, and then you all figured <laughs> well, you no, would no, do this. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we're sitting on the couch, and Nora's like, Nora really wanted to start with Starship Troopers because Starship Troopers one. She really loves the first movie. She's like, oh, we can start off with one of my favorite movies, and then we can get into some real dog shit immediately after. You know, like, we can just get into some bad, bad movies immediately after. But also, there's like five Starship Troopers movies, so there's the promise of like, ooh, maybe Starship Troopers 4 is like weirdly good. You never know. Probably not, but maybe. Who knows? I haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't seen Starship Troopers. So we were going to watch Starship Troopers, and I was sleepy, and I was high, and I was like, let's watch a movie we don't want to podcast about. Uh, and so we we poke around, and we land on Night of the Living Dead. Um, and <laughs> we get like 20 minutes in, and I was like, we're going to podcast about this, aren't we? And Nora's like, yeah, yeah, we <laughs> are. <laughs> so that's how part of my franchise got its start. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm really enjoying that. Um, that is going to be a... Um, much like this podcast, if you pay us a dollar, you get access to those a week early. So, um, uh, thank you to folks who are doing that. Um, and if you're already doing that, I hope this is a nice little incentive to keep you doing that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we watched Night of the Living Dead. That's one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. I, I made a, um, that. Oh. I could talk about it, this later. I know that
1: there's a stuff around the the casting of Ben. Mm-hmm. Of it being like, oh, it was sort of a decision made mm-hmm. later. Part of me is like, and I'm sure that there's been stuff that he, this seems like a thing that he would have talked about more recently.
2: Mm-hmm. If this Well, was he true. hasn't
1: talked about anything recently because he's fucking dead. That's true. But like, I mean like, I much know. later. I know. But like, at the time that this movie is made, I can extremely see being like, you don't write in the script that this is supposed to be a black man, mm-hmm. but you are writing it with that in mind. Mm. You go to cast, and you're just like, he was just the best one for the role because it's just because, easier than having to. That's
0: true. Yes, because the actor who plays Ben fucking knocks that movie out of the park. Yes, he's a great actor. I don't um, know anything else he's done, but in that movie,
1: he's great. Yes, um, but yeah, just the i do, I just feel like there have been so few like like zombie movies become so much of the the like libertarian wet dream, yes, like survivalist thing mm-hmm. um there's been so few that are in the lineage uh like what's so great about the Night of the Living Dead is that one the whole thing breaks down because of just the racism that exists in the group, mm-hmm. and then literally the one person who the black man who survives which also at that time is extremely eschewing a trope of the black man as the first person who dies in the horror movie yeah he's the the final survivor yeah and then just the you killed by ignorant yeah. racists in the end yes you know um and I, i'm definitely on your side of like it, not even if it was necessarily a conscious thought on the part of the like police yeah. officer or, or national guardsman or whatever who who's doing that that this isn't the american society where somebody who has that kind of that kind of power and is given the leeway to go shoot down a bunch of ghouls mm-hmm. or zombies or whatever you know ghouls yeah um We'll, we'll see a black man without hesitation pull the trigger. Yeah. Without even necessarily thinking that that could be a human.
0: Yeah. Like, it just... It simply would not enter into his mind that Ben is a person. Yes. You know? Yeah. And and, and George Romero is, like, aware of that fact. You know? Yeah. Like...
1: uh, Like, it's it's an extremely, like... Dark ending. It's a very sad ending. But it's, also it it just hits in a way that few other yeah. horror movies like this hit where you're just like, god damn. It's it's like, bleak. You can survive zombies, but you can't survive American racism. It's
0: it's so bleak. It's so dark. And it's also so true to what the movie is. Yeah. I think like So so we'll we'll get into it. I was really lukewarm on Dawn of the Dead. Um and then Here's the thing we're
1: really going to talk, because I
0: yeah. I have my bone to pick. And then later with Day of the Dead, I I absolutely love that movie. The one thing I'll say about all three of these movies, whether I love them or don't care for them, is that Romero knows how to end the movie in a way that is true to what the movie is. Um, I was watching a commentary track for Day of the Dead earlier today, and um, someone on the recording was like, oh yeah, the fans hated this ending, didn't they? And Romero's like, yeah, but the fans are wrong, like, this is true to what the movie is. And I think that's true of all three of these movies, is that, like, Night of the Living Dead ends on this really bleak, dark note, and that's true to what the movie was doing. Dawn of the Dead opens on this, like, or ends on this um ambiguous, like, hope, you know, of, like, well, we got out of that situation, and maybe I'll be better in the next place, you know? Um, the sun's rising, but who knows? Maybe we'll get to the next place and we'll fucking die, <laughs> you yeah. know? And that's true to what that movie is. And then Day of the Dead opens on, they just got away, you know? And, and that's true to what that movie is, so.
1: Yeah. Um. Anyway, the real bone that, that I had to pick with it, it was the way that y'all were talking about the shopping mall stuff, which I'm not <laughs> saying is the, the greatest of commentary, but... I think both of you are. You are, you are jumping ahead. <laughs> because because w- I didn't get to rate the
0: stairs on Night of the Living Dead. You just were like, you are so heated up. I just figured you
1: could rate all the stairs at the end. You were so heated up about. Because uh, you said we're going to do all the, of the dead as like a little segment. So I just figured we would <laughs> talk about it and then you'd do the ratings at the end.
0: Well, S stairs for Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Fucking There's S. the whole like downstairs and yeah. There are so many good stares in that movie. Night of the Living Dead is one of the best movies ever made. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So. I will I will give some exposition for listeners who maybe have not listened to part of my franchise yet. Because it's such a new podcast that maybe not everybody's
1: listened to that episode yet. And you can just like. Y'all, y'all <laughs> say that the shopping mall part is just like doing women be shopping and i just i think both of you are coming from a perspective where one you probably haven't studied much about the actual development of shopping malls but also i'm just older in a way where by the by the time that you are going to malls they are already in the de- decline and not necessarily in a way that you are aware of it as a child that malls are in decline but that malls exist and it, when the way that you all are talking about podcasts it on the podcast is if malls have always existed and not that malls were invented in like the seventies and hadn't even really come into form until the eighties mm-hmm. that this movie is commenting on something that is actively happening. You know, imagine a mall and you've got the escalators that go up to the second level that goes around the like classic yeah. vision. Yeah. You have a mall. Yeah. The first mall like that was not built until 1980, two years after this. The classic idea that you have in your head about, like, a mall, like, an 80s kid mall rat or a 90s mall rat did not exist in the 70s. That was not a type of person. Okay. Because in the 70s, you had a small downtown, like, if you lived in, like, the suburbs or a small town, you had a downtown shopping district. And then if you wanted to go to, like, a big thing, you would have to go into a city. And you would go to a department store. And this is where you, you know, Chicago's got its department stores. In the 70s, the idea of a uh, mall Santa does not exist. It is the department store Santa. If you want to take your kid to go sit on Santa's lap and you live in the Midwest, you are probably taking a trip to Chicago or some other major metropolitan area that exists in the Midwest, maybe Milwaukee or something. And you are going to a department store.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you are going around and there's a Santa Claus there. mm mm-hmm. Mall Santa does not exist yet or is just beginning to start. But that is not the idea that people have in their heads about taking your kid to go see Santa is that you go to the mall. Mm. The mall in the 70s, when this movie is being made, is an active development that is happening like extremely actively by land developers to pull away this like here's the, the small town community that builds up around the, the downtown shopping district there where you have a little main street and maybe it's only three blocks and you have a, you have a, hardware store and you have like a little seamstress or something right you have that and then if you want to go in and you want to get your big fancy goods you are like taking a trip into the city and there's this like movement that is occurring in and out of the city and the suburbs and like more rural areas there's this like motion that is occurring there's this uh mingling of like people in that process mm-hmm. the malls are establishing like modern suburbs as we know them which started in the 50s but are the fifties ones are still more tied to the city. The malls in the seventies are being established as a way to pull people away from going to the, to the city away from the down, the like little downtown area. You go to the mall and the mall has, and this is key to what Dawn of the dead is everything you need to survive. Mm -hmm. They are going to the mall because it's got everything you need to survive. Mm -hmm. And it is specifically in the way that you're critiquing, Oh, it's saying people are stupid for going there, but of course they're going there because it just had, like, that's where the shopping occurs. Mm-hmm. This is critiquing the fact that there's an active thing happening in land development to make the mall the place
2: mm-hmm.
1: where you go, where your entire life is centered. That's where you hang out. That's where you get food at the food court. That's where you go shopping to get your clothes and your CD or, you know, your vinyl mm-hmm. at the time, your records. Um All of this is like a thing that is actively happening, and so it is not being critical necessarily of the people who are going there, but of the way that the mall itself is making people go there, that is a thing that is developing and that in that current state of development is ripe for critique in the way that when you watching it as someone who has only existed when the malls were in decline that critique feels like a foregone conclusion to you and not something that is actually important and relevant to viewers at the time of something that it's actually talking about like an active process that's happening and restructuring the shape of america so here's also, the- i think if you're doing a podcast thing that's about going through franchises and you're having a really bad time of dawn of the- with dawn of the dead Mm-hmm. You're gonna have some really bad times. You need to be a what, little bit no, more no, no, opening no, 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 your no, no. heart.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's start, anyway. Let's start there. <laughs> which is that I go into Dawn of the Dead knowing this movie's reputation as one of the best movies ever made, and was disappointed. So that was part of the issue. Was that like, yeah, is I my heart was open to oh I'm gonna love this. this everybody loves this movie. I'm gonna eat this shit up and then just didn't respond to it in any meaningful way. I just, yeah. like, movie totally fell flat for me. So that's part of it. And like, Nora and I watched Tremors 4 last week. I'm yeah. good. <laughs> I found things to enjoy in Tremors 4. You don't gotta I'm tell just, me about saying, how to enjoy bad movie sequels because
1: I enjoyed Tremors 4. I'm just saying that when you're doing a, a thing about going and exploring franchises, I'm If I was doing this, I would take more approach to, even if I did not respond to that, if the project that I have set in front of me Mm. is I'm going to watch through franchises, I am going to try to understand why would, why was this one successful? What in this was successful? This is, even if I didn't respond, let me pull out, ah, there is this like extreme, like, you know, scandalous amount of gore and the practical effects. Well, yeah, There, What is it saying about malls that other people are responding to, even if I'm not? Anyway, you can talk now. I'll stop. I'll drink my water. So, so, I've got like 80 things I need to respond to now. Anyway, Dawn of the Dead, is, I mean, it's not the best. It's not Night of the Living Dead. It's so, not. I haven't seen Day of the Dead in a long time or Dawn of the Dead, so I can't, I can't judge between these two. So, so, okay. So, to
0: address that part, like, that's a little bit of, like, I have been doing, like, research for this podcast. Yeah. But this is also, you have to remember that, like, Nora and I do not get much time together, generally. (laughs) And so, like, we record the, we watch the movie and record the same night. And I did a bunch of research about Day of the Dead today, yeah. but that podcast is recorded and I will bring up all the things I learned about Day of the Dead on the next one as much as I can but like that podcast is done (laughs) Uh because Nora and I are like laying the tracks down as the train is rolling and so like there there were things while we were watching Dawn of the Dead that I was like, ooh I want to find out a little bit more about this like alternate version that Argento edited with a, a goblin soundtrack oh, there are things about like this production thing that was interesting that I want to learn more about. There was not time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> that's not how the podcast is made. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's one thing. Here's the, here's the issue that I'm having with, I hear everything you're saying. I thought all of that was very interesting about the history of them all at at the core of night of the living dead there is a cast that i got deeply invested in i care yeah. about all those people i remember like ben and cooper and and um like i remember names barbara like i don't usually remember names of characters in movies
3: yeah. there's a
0: there is a story there like i care about the conflict between so and so and so and so there's like a there is like a heart to that movie that I'm deeply invested in. In Dawn of the Dead, it's just not there. I don't give a shit about any of those people. <laughs> that no. cast totally fell flat. And that is what that, that is what all three of the movies that I've watched so far in this franchise have pivoted on is the strength of the cast. And like, I don't give a fuck about any of those four people. I guess I liked Peter the best, but like, I didn't even think Peter was that good. I just thought Peter was good when he's bouncing off of Roger, you know? Yeah. And so, like, me not enjoying that sort of most basic, most fundamental thing, and aesthetically, like, I don't think this movie has what the first movie has. I think the special effects, the the, and we talked about it with Night of the Living Dead more than we talked about it with Dawn of the Dead. And we were going to talk about it more with Day of the Dead. But the special effects are genuinely, like, I hear everything you're saying about, like, how both, like, genuinely scandalous and, like, from a technical sense, like, revolutionary for the film industry, I recognize the importance of the special effects of Dawn of the Dead. But when I don't care about the movie I'm watching, it doesn't really fucking matter. (laughs) And so, like, I think I took the most negative possible read on the the social commentary aspect of the movie because I didn't care about the movie. (laughs) Like the, the, the way that some of the, the Dawn of the Dead takes multiple sort of digressions, um, to like, we're going to zoom in on zombies wandering around the mall. And then here's like a mannequin lying face up in a pool. And it sort of has like just various shots of like quiet moments around the mall that have sort of the same function as say, in Ghost in the Shell when you cut to just here's rain in the city of just like we have presented you with something now contemplate it now think about it Dawn of the Dead does that same thing but when I don't care about any of the things I'm being presented with I'm not contemplating jack shit (laughs) I'm just like oh this movie is like women be shopping and I'm moving on with my life because I just didn't think the movie was very good
1: (laughs) yeah I mean the movie's also still a little sexist so
0: (laughs) One of the things that's really funny, um, Day of the Dead, um, I was listening to that commentary track, and the lead actress it says, um, you know, I felt just so moved and honored to be given this role. You know, 1985, Aliens hadn't come out. Alien obviously had. But, like, you didn't see strong women in leading roles in horror movies or action movies in that day. You know, and so in Day of the Dead, she really like was moved by how she got to play that type of character. Uh and Romero says, Yeah, I kind of wrote your role as an apology for how sexist the first two movies
2: are <laughs> It's just, just true. They're sexist as shit. Yeah. It's
0: just funny. It's a funny moment. Um that that's fundamentally my I'm going to rewatch Dawn of the Dead because I did um, find uh, um, the Argento cut, which um, fully is scored by Goblin. And uh, according to what I read, cuts about seven minutes of the movie, mostly cuts like comedy scenes. And a big problem that I had with Dawn of the Dead is an inconsistent tone. The version that we watched, the theatrical version, is bouncing Uh, back and forth between the so there, there are three versions of this movie that exist. There's the yeah. uh, theatrical, which I imagine is what most people have seen. There's the Argento cut, and there's the uh, version that was screened at Cannes, which is sometimes, which is sometimes called the director's cut. But according to Romero, his favorite version is the theatrical version. the The version that screened at Cannes is about twenty minutes longer. Um, and so some people are like, "Oh, you got to watch that version. That's the best version." I'm dubious of that. What I want to watch is the Argento version because it cuts seven minutes. And I think that movie is really flabby and too long. You go from Night of the Living Dead is like 90 minutes to Dawn of the Dead is two hours seven. You know? Yeah. And so I'm excited to see Argento make some cuts to that movie. Um, And supposedly what he cut is some of the more
1: comedic elements and I do also... love the comedy in the movie, though. <laughs> I like that it bounces, that it's horror, and then sometimes there's just a weird comedy bit. And then
0: um, the other thing is that the theatrical version moves back and forth between library music and the Goblin soundtrack, and the Argento version is fully scored by Goblin. And I'm looking forward to that because I just found the tone of Dawn of the Dead so grating of just, like, I just felt like you were moving back and forth between two different things too much and I think having a more consistent score a more interesting score <laughs> frankly cuz you know say what you will goblin puts out an interesting score <laughs> every time yeah. um and yeah I th- I think I will enjoy that version more and I'm going to try to watch that in the next couple of days cuz I'm 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 interested you know yeah I I don't want to I've been really negative because I watched one of the most well-regarded movies ever made and thought it was mid. And so it's like one of those things where, like, I like Dawn of the Dead. But then everybody else is telling me about how it's great. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't see it. And it makes me sound more standoffish than I maybe actually feel in my heart. And so I want to try and give it this second chance. Um, I maybe want to watch... I was disappointed because the commentary tracks on Dawn of the Dead. I was going to watch one of those today, but at least the file I downloaded... Didn't have, one of them was just the guy who put together the home video release talking, and then one of them was that guy talking to the producer on the movie, and I just, I wanted to hear Romero talk about it, or, you know, or Argento, which, that that would be a weird commentary track, but, you know, like, I wanted to hear the people who made the movie talk about the movie, And, Um. and that was not immediately available to me, which is how I ended up watching the commentary track for Day of the Dead instead, which I had a fantastic time with.
1: Yeah. I think the other thing with, uh, Dawn of the Dead is the way that, Night of the Living Dead is such a, like, shoestring production. Yes. Uh, and, so some of it is this, like, underdog thing where you see the, like, really great horror movie, and then, um, that director gets attention from Argento, who's like a, you know, even at that time a noted Mm -hmm. horror film director and gets a big budget and then it becomes like a commercial success, but also still because of its like shocking quality maintains and continues on under this like auspice of like cult classic, even though it was also like a huge blockbuster essentially at the time. It's a huge blockbuster, Um, but puts it in like this this weird space where it's like like so many people have seen it and yet it also like carries this weight of, like, a cult classic in it. Well, you, know, and you, you have to place that also in the context of
0: if, if Dawn of the Dead came out in 1972 and made the money that it did, it wouldn't be a cult classic because it would have been in its day one of the most successful movies ever made. However, Dawn of the Dead as it exists now comes out a year after Star Wars, the same year as Close Encounters, like, a year before alien like in the, in a very short amount of time the american movie industry like had a massive explosion in profits you know of just like godfather was the most like from 1939 to 1972 gone with the wind is the most profitable movie ever made and then gone with the or godfather Blows that out of the water. And then Godfather 2 blows that out of the water. And then Jaws blows that out of the water. And then Star Wars blows that out of the water. Yeah. Like, it just kept happening. And so Dawn of the Dead was a massive success. But not compared to any of the other things coming out around it.
1: You know? Yeah. And so, it it maintains this, like, mystique for a lot of people, I think, as the underdog. But also the underdog that in many ways still won. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. It's like, way people bigger. Lo- people love the, like, Cinderella story or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, he came from nothing, and now he, like, made this huge, profitable movie. And sure, I mean, it's not making the money of Star Wars, but, like... George. The other thing is, hearing George
0: Romero talk about... Like, Dawn of the Dead is set in a mall because George Romero knew a guy who owned a mall, right? And, yeah. And you listen to him talk about Day of the Dead and how much stuff is just, like... There's a funny bit on the Day of the Dead commentary where... Someone's talking about, yeah, so we were shooting in these god awful caves, and you come out of the caves, and there's just this shitty shopping mall across the street, and that got hit by a tornado in like 1992. And thank God that place sucked. And then there was a Holiday Inn that we were all staying at, and no one, we were all kind of miserable at that Holiday yeah. Inn. Um, there, there is a quality to Romero movies where these are made in Pittsburgh with like all local cast and crew. That is genuinely like inspiring, you know, of yeah. just like Dawn of the Dead is a movie that is about like Pennsylvania, you know? Yeah. And could only have been made there, and that's so fucking cool. Yeah. You know?
1: And so for me, I think there's also some of the you know what comes after Clerks, what comes after she's gotta have it yeah. going on here too. Of like Yeah. There there's a there's a generation of people going to see films who are are more actively engaged, and so they're not the people who are only going to Close Encounters in Star Wars. They are also going to stuff like this. Yeah. And sometimes it's fun to see the, oh, I went and saw Night of the Living Dead. Most people aren't going and seeing that, but that was you know incredible Mm. and Mm -hmm. shocking and now look like because of that because of us being people who have faith in this smaller thing he's getting this opportunity i think that's also part of the that's part of why people love it so much is that it is like there's a there's there's
0: night of the living dead is like directly responsible for like movies like slacker or clerks or she's got to have it yeah and dawn of the dead is directly responsible for movies like um do the right thing, or um, before sunrise, or before, or um, so chasing Amy. You know, big budget Kevin Smith yeah. movie of like, oh that that independent filmmaker proved himself with that last one. And important that I said I mean, himself there.
1: <laughs> we, I um, mean, we've even got David Lynch in here. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Like oh, David Lynch proved himself with Eraserhead, and now we are going to give him The Elephant Man, this much more yeah. big-budget thing. And
1: Dune. We're going to see yeah. what he does with Dune. Yeah, exactly. You know.
0: That doesn't. That's sort of like, oh, this person proved himself with a low-budget project. That doesn't happen without, you know, oh, George Romero proves himself with Night of the Living Dead and then gets, you know, 10 years later to go make Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> you know? Now, different from Romero and many other filmmakers who go down that path is that, like, Romero makes eight other movies in the ten years between Night and Dawn um, of varying levels of success and budget. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, Dawn of the Dead takes a long time to get made.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh...
0: (coughs) So then, okay, before I move on to Day of the Dead, I'm gonna do stairs. S. S. Some of the best fucking stairs in any movie ever. Fucking Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) <laughs> one of the one of the good comedy bits of that movie is um Peter runs down an escalator and Roger like slides down the escalator um on his butt and you just see him slide down the escalator like the not the not the stairs part of it but like the little like um yeah the, the rail. handrail thing. The, yeah the handrail he like slides down on his butt and you just see him the whole slide it's just fun. Yeah. And that's not even the best stairs in the movie. That's just the funnest stairs. Anyway, um, there's a lot of great stairs in Dawn of the Dead. Shopping malls. Who would have thought? Great stairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See our police story episode. <laughs> um. Day, um of the... Day of the Dead. Uh, Day of the Dead is one of the best movies ever made.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't have much more to say about it. Day of the Dead is like. Yeah, I think more I, haven't, than, I
1: haven't listened to the episode about it because I don't think it's even out yet. It's not so, out yet. So it's coming out. I can't find any bones to chew on.
0: The, yeah. Um. So I, I just, haven't seen this in
1: over a decade.
0: I just think Day of the Dead is one of the best movies ever made. I did a whole podcast about it and Nora agrees with me. Nora likes it more than Night of the Living Dead. I'm not quite there with her, but I I see why she's there. I absolutely... I think it, it does for me the thing that Dawn of the Dead didn't, which is that I cared about that cast and specifically like Dawn of the dead is about four people who more or less get along, you know, or, or agree even if they don't always get along, but they agree about the best course of action. Day of the dead is about, let's put eight people in some caves who fucking hate each other and are ready to start shooting any day now, <laughs> you know, and just yeah. put these people in a pressure cooker. Um, It is phenomenal. I don't, I don't, There's not much more to say about it other than, like, um, the the, the special effects in that movie are just some of the best special effects in any movie ever. I'd I'd put them up against, like, you know, The Thing or any other, um, you know, movie that is well-known for its special effects. I would put Day of the Dead up against any of them. I think it's the heavyweight champion of the world. I think it's a fucking incredible movie. Um, That poor bastard with the rotten guts. Do you know about this? You probably don't know about this. So, at mm-hmm. the end, guy gets eaten by a zombie, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the zombies pull him apart at the legs, right? They, they c- cut him in half. And the production crew had this freezer full of, like, pig and sheep intestines to put in there, you know, basically? Yeah. So, this actor is sitting down in a hole, and they're gonna... Throw these like guts in there basically and, and reveal them and um it's gonna be gross. The freezer's not plugged in. And so he's sitting down there in the hole and just inhaling fumes of rotten pig and sheep intestines
2: <laughs> as
0: he's getting eaten by the zombies. That poor bastard <laughs> <Yeah>. It's awful <laughs> also it's the cinema yeah it's the fucking cinema <laughs> um f for stairs um people will hear that episode next week um i I thought our day of the dead episode was really good so
2: yeah
1: that's me i watched some other stuff but we'll talk about that soon what did you watch uh so the one movie that i watched was everything everywhere and all at once I watched this with emily mm. um she had been wanting to see it, and they're doing it on repertory screenings. Yeah. For some, There's a moment in my head where I was like, this feels like a blockbuster," and I was like, no. Eight, no. Eight, I think it's got a, a foot
0: in both, you yeah. know? I, I could see it as either one.
1: Um, But no, repertory screenings, which is easier for people to go listen to. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that episode will be out by the time... I think it will be. They're recording gonna... it tomorrow as we record this, so I imagine yeah. it'll be out soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um anyway uh I won't talk cuz there's going to be a whole other podcast people can listen to. I won't talk about it too much. Um I I enjoyed it. I I have like my two main things to say about it. Uh-huh. One is a lot of the humor doesn't land for me.
0: Can I ask? So I I have heard this talked about as one of the best movies of the year. I don't and I know there's like multiverse stuff. And I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, I can't tell you anything that happens cuz it's you just got to like go along with the journey." Can I ask you to just like tell me what the movie is in a way that all like right. just many people are not willing to tell me what the movie is.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um like what's the like best way to to quickly summarize this without mm. like getting too much into detail? Um let me let me just pull up cuz I don't remember all the names. Um. Uh, so, Evelyn Wong, played by Michelle Yeoh, um, and then uh, Wayman Wong, played by which feels like a weird joke with the way that they named him mm-hmm. or something, but it's just a recurring thing, um, played by uh, Ki Hui Kwan, um, one. They carry this movie. They're mm-hmm. they're the the heart of this movie. They're the best part of this movie, um, but so essentially, um, they own a, a laundromat. It's not doing so well. They have to go to the IRS to like answer about tax stuff, and um, are to some degree, in trouble. Um, she wants to get a divorce. Basically, like life is falling apart. Um and their daughter is lesbian and uh dating a woman and they're i mean they're not they're in that territory that i think lots of people who have like quote-unquote liberal parents might feel comfortable with mm. uh, or feel some kinship with of like they're not outwardly hostile to you and yet it is stuff of like let's not tell grandparents because they're not going to understand. And yeah. They just make that decision for you. Yeah. And they, there's a this, this certain amount of kind of shame or like weirdness that they have around it. But then also they're like, oh, isn't it so great that we're accepting of you? You know, not everyone's like that. And this way that they're like sometimes is holding over. Um, hmm. Anyway, they're going to the IRS meeting and uh, her husband, Waymond, just feels bad to say to me <laughs> to say Waymond. Anyway, um, but, uh, Waymond, um, gets like from a different universe, a a different version of him, like taps into his body or something and then talks and is like, put on this like headset, blah, blah, blah. Here's all these things like instructions. I'm doing, I'm
0: doing a big smile as I remember what I'm talking about next
1: while they're riding on the elevator and then snaps back and doesn't remember anything. And then they go and blah, blah, blah. Basically, uh, she ends up, she's selected as the one. Um, because basically of, like, all the universes, this is the one where her life went the worst, I think, is kind of what's happening. The one, you say? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is why they watch The One. It's because they're watching everything everywhere at all at once. Oh. Okay. I didn't connect that at all. That's that's specifically (laughs) why Em and Destiny were watching The One on Thanksgiving. I didn't connect that. Because... Jackson and Emma have both seen it, but Destiny had not, and they were going to watch everything everywhere at all once. Yeah. Anyway, um, basically, progresses is there's some evil force that she has to defeat. Um, I don't know how much spoilers you want me to go into here.
0: I mean, i I kind of want to watch it, but like, I'm yeah. I don't know how much of this I'm going to hold in my head, and I also don't know how much I care about spoilers like that. Um. But it sounds like from here things get nuts and from looking at Wikipedia, oh, there's like different genres that all kind of collide yes. here. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot. Which I of... think is another thing that I'd heard about a movie is that yeah. it's like the sort of like multiverse jumping thing is also like we're jumping from one genre of movie to another.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it works. There's some, there's like parts where like briefly, briefly it will be animation and that's, that's just fun to see. There's one universe that, uh, is a universe where, um, way back in human history, uh, there, you know, in the way that there's various different types of sort of pre-human, uh, homo sapiens, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then there's sort of this mingling, but also like fighting. You kind of get this like 2001, a uh, space odyssey thing, uh, where the, the, uh, monkeys that have like these really long hot dog fingers are able to like slap them to to beat the normal uh, Homo sapiens to death or whatever or you know early whatever hominids mm. uh, and so everybody in this universe has hot dog fingers and the first time it shows up you're like ah oh, okay that's it's kind of funny that like you go to this world and you know she looks up at the the screen where mm-hmm. she's been watching like you know, musicals. And it's like, they have the weird hot dog fingers while they're singing. And then they're like sticking the fingers in each other's mouth. And you're like, okay, this is like kind of a funny joke. And then they keep coming back to the hot dog fingers universe (laughs) in a way where I'm like, that one you could have left as a one-off, like the joke's not working for me anymore. Um, But like one of the biggest things, so the one joke that, and they return to this universe multiple times, But often just like little key moments, but it's the funniest fucking part to me every single time is there's a Wong Kar Wai universe where just everything is Wong Kar Wai all the time. And so it's just going there and it's like in all the other universes, Waymond remains like dorky. You know, uh-huh. and like if you look at the actor, I'm not saying that he he's like necessarily a an ugly man or something, but he's but a like, little dweeby looking. He's gonna, and, uh, you know, they they play up with even dweebier glasses and stuff. and yeah. this one, they've just styled him the most to look like Tony lung and it's working. You look, you know, it's amazing watching this. Is that like in every other universe, this man does not look appealing to me. You go to the Wong Kar Y universe, and I'm like, you know what? You put that man in a nice suit. You give him some good glasses that, like, really frame his face. Uh-huh. I can kind of see it. <sighs> okay. So, I knew from my group chat And talent... she's just always wearing the most, like, lavish dresses and stuff. And there's... Just... I mean, it's just, it's specifically riffing off uh, In the Mood for Love, but also kind of her wide generally. But, like, the, the most vibe is, like, on the rainy street in In the Mood for Love, talking about the, like difficulty of loving each other i knew that for some reason jackson
0: elected to watch in the mood for love before they watched everything all everything everywhere all at once um like someone told them like hey for spoilers reasons you should probably watch in the mood for love which i was just pleased i'm like oh thank god jackson's gonna watch one of the best movies ever made and i if i'm not mistaken from just looking at letterboxd haven't spoken to them about it but uh Seems like they agree, or they at least gave it five stars, if I recall correctly. So um, yeah, glad every person who's gonna watch uh, in the mood for love because of this movie. I'm so happy. I'm so pleased. Yeah, um,
1: but yeah, that part works for me every time that it shows up. I laugh every time because, in part, because. And this is a thing that it, it is the biggest failing of the the humor for me of mm-hmm. the comedy. So there's this one joke that comes up where uh the sort of the villain of the thing created this uh thing that is essentially going to destroy all of the universe or or at least will um destroy many people. That is I made a bagel and I put everything on it. Mm-hmm. And it's like listing like Everything in the world, but then also including like sesame seeds and poppy seeds. You know, Someone
0: someone at work asked me, I was like, oh, we've got our plain bagel or our everything bagel. On. And they were like, what's on the everything bagel? And I was like, buddy, it's an everything bagel. I don't really know how to explain it to you. Just look at it. It's got yeah. everything on it. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so it's like this weird black hole with like a thing in the middle, you know, because it's a bagel. Um, uh, but it's like weird and pulsing, and uh. you know she put everything on it. And the first time that that comes up, you're like, oh, it's kind of funny, everything bagel. But now it actually does have everything in the universe on it. Mm. Um, okay, like you created a universe where just everything is on a bagel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, Funny. It then the everything bagel has to become this metaphor for like suicidality and like the desire to like want the world to end that exists in people. But in a way that does not ever allow, because people have to continue to make jokes about the everything bagel while they're doing it, which might lighten it for many viewers. But because of that, you never get like a, a good emotional, like the emotional core of people talking about these things with each other uh-huh. is not allowed to happen mm-hmm. because of the fact that the humor is continually intruding in on those scenes.
0: This sounds like my, This sounds like my problem with Marvel movies.
1: Kind of. Of just like,
0: oh, it, there it's was It's definitely an interesting... like a good
1: Marvel movie, is kind of the, the vibe of it. Uh,
0: of like, oh, there was an interesting character conflict here. Oh, we've just undercut it with some silly quip.
1: This is why the Wong Kar Wai movie works so much, because the Wong Kar Wai universe is playing off the dry humor. It's playing off everything else has been silly and wacky. And then you come here where things are kind of moody and dour and there's rain and stuff. But because even as they're doing a joke and that because the joke is this more dry humor, it's more in the space of doing this parody of like art cinema it allows the characters to sometimes have more meaningful and genuine emotional conversations mm-hmm. where some jokes are still intruding, but I it just doesn't it doesn't like pull away from the emotional core as much. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the other stuff, I just feel like there are times where I want them to there are good actors in this and I want to just allow them I want the movie to allow them to act and have like big emotions around some of the stuff that's happening Mm -hmm. without having to constantly fill it in with jokes. Yeah. And that was, I think that was my core issue, especially because a lot of the jokes, they got repeated too much Yeah, or they weren't even that funny to me. Like the hot dog fingers thing was kind of funny the first time. Mm -hmm. And then as it just went on, I was just like, really? We're just, we're constantly doing this, you know? Yeah um another part where they allow a certain amount of like extra human emotion and warmth is when they go to a universe where life is n- life never developed and so they're just rocks that you like characters discussing are just rocks <laughs> um because it's just so quiet and still they're able to have a conversation but then also i'm watching it and i'm like god damn i just wish that i could like see the actors acting and not just hearing their voices during, this. Mm-hmm. during like one of the most like parts that's giving you an actual genuine moment of emotion between these two characters still has to be around the sweeping shots of a landscape with nothing in it except, like, mountains and two rocks. Yeah. And that's also supposed to be funny. Yeah. You know?
0: Okay. I'm interested in watching this movie. Yeah. I feel like... I feel like you said all the things you were down on about, and I'm like... It doesn't... I, I don't... I don't think I'm going to love this movie, but I at least know what it is now. Because there was was a tone of conversation around the movie that was like, oh, you just got to see it. You got to believe me. It's really good. No, I can't tell you what it is. And it's like, well, that's really frustrating to me. you know. And Um, it's like, oh, now my expectations are lower, but also just knowing what it is, it's like now I'm more interested in seeing
1: it. You know? The other thing with it is... And I think it is better than the discourse around it about this. Uh-huh. But, like, it seeps into the movie to some extent, but also the discourse has made it worse in my mind, which is that this is a movie that I think is very easy to become, like, extremely representation-brained about, mm-hmm. to, like, really uh, deeply invest in, like, representational politics mm-hmm. as, like, the core thing. Yeah. Because you've got, you know, it's an, an Asian-American movie. Mm -hmm. with a storyline involving a a gay family member and Mm -hmm. things like all of this is stuff that like i mean so and i think it like it's good Mm -hmm. like none of that stuff is a a detractor for me that those things those elements are present in it but i think i've sometimes seen discourse around it that like there's a certain one of like you can't be critical of this because Mm -hmm. it's doing this representation stuff and i'm like so, and also like that, it's like extremely unique to to do these things. And I'm like, there have been other, there are other movies out there that are about like mm-hmm. Asian American experience and queerness and things. Yeah. So. Um, and, one of the one and it's the, like given a primacy because it's the big budget one. I feel like
0: we kind of we hit this point in Eternals, but I while while you were saying that just now, I like found a snappier way of phrasing it one of the things we talked about in the pop town about eternals was how this movie is trying to do the representational politics and the the sort of multiculturalism that i think is good i'm glad that movies are moving in the direction of giving actors of color more opportunities um the 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 movie is better Eternals as a movie is better because it's not all white people, you know. Mhm. Um also um and it, it you know, non-white director too, important to note. Also, walking hand in hand with that is I think the movie props up a neoliberal racist lie about how human history functions yeah and and the i guess the thing that is frustrating about eternals and maybe sounds like is frustrating about um everything everywhere all at once is that like one of the the functions of representational politics is to sort of i think make you the viewer say a foregrounding representational politics in the way that like Marvel movies right now do of like like Disney broadly yes Disney oh look we have a majority non white cast pat us on the back and talk about how good this is that the majority of this cast is not white and that is good but that does not the cultural like the the capitalism logic. Does not get defeated by having a cast of many different races, you yeah. know like the 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 logic of um like the uh that that representation does not then like make the movie not have horrible conservative politics if you go one layer deeper that that representation is just a distraction from the horrible politics at, at the next level, you know, yeah. Um and th- those like those politics are there for a reason because, you know, companies stand to gain from, you know, making you think that, you know, the world functions in a certain way and, you know, oh, we're making progress. Progress is a linear thing um, and we're making progress because now we have, you know, these non-white casts,
1: yeah. you know? Well, and like there when I go to like rate this on on Letterboxd, it's also just existing in like a type of discourse around representation stuff of mm. like, "Oh, it, am I judged for like not giving this a higher star rating?" Yes, because it is the the like representation movie. Yes, it is also um There, there is a, and I think this is just a thing that I've seen in discourse around it of like a certain amount of like this should be isolated from a lot of critiques because it is doing this. Yes, and this is a inherently valuable thing. And that is also it's good that this movie it like this movie benefits greatly Uh by having a a perspective that is specifically talking about like you know Asian American immigrants. Yeah. Um, this I think probably more so than some of the other like the the broader like Disney stuff I've seen, yes, he is trying to talk to some degree about these experiences, also in ways where something like Chan is missing is like digging so deeply into that mm-hmm. whereas this is far more on a surface.
0: Yeah, one of the things I've mentioned on this podcast before is um the the really interesting Lindsay Ellis video where she talks about Disney remakes, Disney live action remakes, and the ways in which like, Um, those, those movies will sort of like, are, are capturing a criticism of, oh, Beauty and the Beast is a sexist movie. Now we're doing the Disney live action remake of Beauty and the Beast, and we're going to address that in the text of the movie. And it's sort of like, now gives you an excuse to be able to, to watch the new version or watch the old version. And you're able to think about that criticism and and hold that in your heart and be like, oh, but now it's better, or whatever, you know? And I think this is very much doing the same thing of, like... And I, I, I'm i not talking about everything everywhere all at once. I'm talking about Eternals, but it sounds like maybe I'm hitting at a similar issue here, which is that um, it, it's sort of like takes that criticism in that one might have of like, oh, people criticize Marvel movies because they're too white. We're going to address that problem. And now if you have a criticism of Eternals, you're criticizing the non-white cast.
1: Yes. If if you you can't... There, I, there's I like, there's I like... a marketing turn that is happening towards being like, uh if you don't like this movie, then you are on the side of the people who don't like this movie because they're racist. Yeah. And it's like there are other reasons to not like this movie.
0: I like The Last Jedi. But if, say, I didn't like The Last Jedi because um I felt like, oh, I didn't like that character arc that Luke had. I can't say that without then being lumped into the people who do not like The Last Jedi because they are racists or sexists or both. Yeah. You know? And and I think that's a thing that like Disney has probably like done on accident a few times and has now learned how to do on purpose. Yes. You know?
1: Yeah. Um and I and I think that this movie is less like in insidious but also, but also than like a Disney thing. What but, are, but Disney has set up such a movie culture where I feel it with this movie too, in a way that's just It's not a a ding against the movie for me, to be clear, but it's just something that I am, like, aware of with just the way that movies are talked about now and the way that this movie is talked about.
0: But also, one of the executive producers of this movie that I noticed when we were on the Wikipedia page for that movie, one of the executive producers for Everything Everywhere All at Once did go into Avengers Endgame and... pretend to be a gay guy whose husband had died, and he was the first canonical gay character in the Marvel Universe, despite the director himself not being gay. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, this movie is not part of the Disney apparatus, but people who are part of the Disney apparatus were the money behind this movie. So, like, I think, like... I I, I don't think we're,
1: like, far off base here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah um there's also in a way that there's some stuff around the the ending with the the daughter who's gay and Mm. then the mom where some of it hits and some of it feels weird too to me Mm -hmm. um in a way that i feel like i would need to rewatch to like really pin down yeah but You know what? Honestly, I feel like it's the gay angle that I like feel the weirdest about this. But
0: you know what I was thinking about just now because you mentioned that. That Mitchell's versus the machines is like a keeps growing in my estimation as just like a movie that's actually about real
1: shit. You know? Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like this is about some real shit. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I I feel like this is more in that space of Mitchell's versus the machine. Uh huh. Um, where I, I like it, and it I don't feel like it's like, um. I don't feel like it is using the the diversity of the cast. It is using the this is Asian American and yeah. I did diversity in scare quotes because actually, as a primarily Asian American cast, it is not like by definition diverse, but in a like uh, business context. speak, culture speak, people say that that is diverse. Yeah, in the way that like. Uh, someone would say that I'm a diverse hire, even though I'm an individual. Yeah, because I am a trans woman, and so yeah. I am adding to the diversity of the workforce. Yes, I'm maybe speaking directly to to some things that have been said to me in jobs that I've had. But, yeah, know? yeah. Um, but yeah, that the the uh, like the fact that there's a Asian American cast here, the fact that it is talking about gay topics. Hmm that I think a lot of this is in the Mitchell's versus the machine thing, where I think it's actually trying to say things about this, Mm -hmm. but also that it is existing in this current, like cultural context where there is just this, like there, there's this like energy where you're supposed to like something more purely based on that. that you are supposed to like inherently think that this is a, a a fantastic and just like by virtue of the casting. Yes. And not in a service level where I feel like there's not as much talk about what is it actually doing with that or saying with that. But often just like, oh, it's so great to see a movie that has a, you know, primarily Asian American cast. And I'm like, that is great to see, but also hmm. I, I'm i more invested in what do you then do with that?
0: So I have not seen Turning Red, but um, I remember having a conversation with a coworker who told me oh, um, you've really got to go see Turning Red. It's about lesbians. Like, open the conversation there. of It's about lesbians, right? And you're rolling your eyes because you've seen the movie and it's not yeah. actually about that.
1: Yeah, I mean... It is. Part, but... part of it is about... No, it's really not. Okay. it It is more about... And this is... I think this is part of what mm-hmm. I'm trying to get at with some of the other stuff. Because it's... One, it is about being like a second generation immigrant Mm -hmm. it's about that it is also about being a young girl and going through like having periods for the first time Mm -hmm. and the feelings that you have around that because you would exist in a society where even if you have people around you who tell you that you should not be ashamed of this. You exist in a society that says that you are supposed to be ashamed by this. And you're also having these like hormonal swings that are hard for you to process. Mm. And not having always the best support around that. And then also having like internal family stuff. But that is what this movie is about. It is not about lesbians. Mm. The reading of the the four girls are all lesbians in a poly school is just the extreme. What I'm talking about. About it's easy to get representation brained about things. So so I had
0: this conversation with this coworker, and they open it on. You have to see Turning Reddit's about lesbians. Uh, I was skeptical, but I'm at work. I'm being polite. We're chit chatting, and at some point, I turn the conversation to. Oh, did you see the Mitchells versus the Machines? I Really liked that movie, and this coworker was like, "Oh, I thought
1: that movie was really bad," and I was just like,
0: "What the fuck are you talking about? Like that movie's fine.
1: That movie's also a lot more about lesbians, yeah, than Turning Red." And I guess Turning Red was a really good movie. When I tell people about, I
0: I don't often talk about Mitchells versus the Machines, but if I were trying to pitch someone on watching that movie, I I would just say, "Oh yeah, I thought it was a really nice story about um." a queer kid trying to fit in with her family, you know? But I think the thing about that is that I liked the story and that story um, is is about her
1: queerness, but also, like... When you say it's about a queer kid trying to fit in with her family, you're not saying it's about queerness or it's about lesbians. You are saying it is specifically about this aspect of the queer
0: experience. I'm not saying you have to watch it because it features a lesbian.
3: Mm.
0: I'm saying I enjoyed this story. One of the elements of this story is that she is queer, you know? Yeah. And, and I just think that's different from the, the cynical marketing of you have to watch this movie. It has, it, it checks these boxes, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, Cause I think that everything everywhere all at once is about like the difficulty of being an immigrant in America. Yeah. That part sounds um,
3: interesting.
1: The, the tensions that exist between different generations of like Asian American immigrants around things like queerness, the, the ways that that can create the, the ways that one, there's like certain things that are that, you know, Chinese families, there, there are certain family structure things that might be distinct from family structure things in, like, a normal, you know, white American family conception of, like, the normal family. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this, like, very specific, like, wasp white, like, Anglo-Saxon, yeah. you know, Protestant kind of yeah. that family. This is the, the normal uh, conflicts you would expect in that family. This feels a little bit more true to what I've heard from, like, families that have. Asian-American especially, like Chinese-American. The, the certain relationships that will develop between the the daughter and the mother and then how that also becomes complicated by queerness.
0: And all of that sounds so much more interesting than...
1: It's about Asian-Americans and a lesbian. Yeah. Yeah. And and
0: tokenizing <laughs> those, those... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a tokenization
1: thing. Eternals,
0: like, for all of its trying to have, um, like a diverse cast ends up just making everybody feel like a token, you know? Yeah. Uh, It feels like we've wrapped back around to making fucking Power Rangers. Yeah. You know? And all the uh, racism that we can easily identify in Power Rangers, Disney has somehow pulled the wool over our eyes
1: that we can't see it anymore. (laughs) And it's just like seeped into a, a form of like discourse around movies now. Yeah. Where it's very... Where I rarely see the discussion about what is this actually doing? Mm -hmm. What's the actual story about? And how is this tying into actual like various experiences that people have? And instead it just kind of becomes, well, it checks this diversity box. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that this movie is really good and it's not just checking a diversity box. But what I mean, this whole tangent yes. we've got on by like, I think it's easy to, for people to get representation brained about this is that I see a lot of people talk about it from just that it checks this box. It has the this token. You watch this and yeah. now you've seen something that's from a different culture or something. Yeah. And that's a really weird way that people talk about this movie. And it is a thing that is like hard to sometimes untangle when I talk about this movie. Yeah, totally. Because it's just the way that that discussion around media has been shaped. Anyway, I talked way longer about this movie than I thought I would because we got into that whole, like, tangent when we were trying to talk about representation politics in cinema. So Michelle Yeoh is the one in this movie, you say? Yeah. <laughs> um, stairs? I think I'm going to... So this is, a, this is a big blossom. Uh-huh. And, and it's... Because we, we talk about how modern movies don't uh-huh. understand stairs. Yes! So there's a there's a very important... Yes! There's multiple important, because there's different universes, stairs that go up to the Everything Bagel. Which, if I'm doing it within the logic of this, is, you know, you get... But also, again, I, I think the Everything Bagel gets played out really fast. Um, But there's still some good, like, scenes around stairs there. Also, the family home is located above the laundromat and so you get stairs that are going up and there's just like a bunch of shit on those stairs. That's all good.
0: I changed Day of the Dead stairs to a B because I remembered there's a ladder at the end of that movie.
1: We have... we yeah. Ladders are honorary stairs. Yes.
0: And and the the ladders... The ladder is good. There's a really nice moment on the ladder. However, I felt like it's literally like in the last like three minutes, I felt like it was like Indiana Jones getting under the door with his hat um in theory, I could like give that an A maybe, but I just felt like blink and you miss' them. there was there was a ladder at the end of the movie. I can't give you an A for that, you know yeah
2: uh, the one.
0: All right, so Jet Lee is one of the best movie stars of all time.
1: <laughs> yeah, It's been it's so long <laughs> since I've seen this movie, but I do just remember really liking this movie.
0: Yeah, so I hadn't seen I this. I remember it
1: being stupid.
0: I hadn't seen this movie <laughs> since I rented it from Blockbuster. That's how long it had been since I've seen this movie. Probably same. Um, And M and Destiny were watching it for Thanksgiving, and oh yeah so we came over here we ate chicken uh, or turkey (laughs) Um, you've got wikipedia's mobile view on for some reason it's been doing that to me too for some reason where it just switches it to mobile view for no reason anyway so we came over here we ate turkey Nora and I go home Em and Destiny were watching the one and I was like Nora you've never seen the one right should we put it on I Uh, forgot
1: Jason Statham was in this he's so young and he's yeah, doing he an just, American accent. I just don't think of him as like being a movie person back then. Yeah,
0: he's very young. He is a baby in this movie. Um and it so so like like many movies of the 2000s. Um but also like many movies of the 90s. Um the one recognizes that Jet Li is a generational talent um jet lee is i don't know the 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 best actor to emerge from the 90s like i don't know like i think jet lee's fucking incredible
2: yeah um
0: i don't have enough nice things to say about jet lee and he comes up in the the um hong kong film world making classic after classic after classic and the, the one, I don't believe, is his first American film, but it's maybe the first one that's like a big hit in America. I don't know. I don't know about the the background on this that well, and I don't really care to look. Um, But, but the one
1: takes... Oh, I mean, he was in Lethal Weapon 4, but I mean, he yeah. probably wouldn't have as big of a role. He was yeah. A, he was a villain. Yeah.
0: And on, honestly, Jet Li really good at playing villains, but... He's better as a hero, you know? Yeah. Um Man I okay, real quick. I was I was making a list today. Uh I was ranking all the movies I watched for the first time in 2022. And at one point I erroneously put Hero on that list. And it was number 1. Hero is better than any movie I have watched this year. It's better than Paris, Texas. <laughs> Anyway, I just. So. The one takes Jet Li, incredible star, and puts him in. The dumbest fucking stupid ass motherfucking movie you can possibly imagine. And it's yeah. incredible. It's so good. Because. It's 2001. Um. The Matrix is in right now. It's it's called the One for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And and um. Hey, what if we just had a guy who actually knew how to do those stunts rather than trying to teach Keanu Reeves how to do those stunts?
1: Hey, it works pretty good. Did you, look look at the first line of this production. Original? that movie would be so much worse. Okay, so let me before I
0: read you this, or before I read the listener this, let me just tell you. Uh, the, if you don't know, the one is about, there is a Jet Li from an alternate universe who is a bad guy, and he is going around killing all the other alternate universe Jet Lees so that he can absorb their power, and there's only one Jet Li left, and he's gotta kill him, and that's Gabe, our, our, who will end up being the protagonist of this movie, um, and... You know, Gabe and U Law, um, the evil Jet Li, um, yeah. end up having a big fight. Gabe
1: Law and Gabriel U Law.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, there's there's also like a, a quick roll through of like Jet Li in various different wigs, including U um, Fook Law, a Rastafari <laughs> uh, from monoceros universe and one of you victims there's just jet lee and dreads in this movie because it's the 2000s and people yeah. can't help but be racist in the weirdest ways you could imagine <laughs> uh anyway
1: from law seth law G law D law swen law a surfer yeah uh song law uh, and then I do just like the one that's lawless, a notorious and violent criminal from a universe and one of the law's victims.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the first Chetley we see, actually. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, this line from the production, uh, originally the film was to have starred Dwayne the Rock Johnson before Lee assumed the role. That movie is one of, that hypothetical movie, genuinely one of the worst movies of the 2000s, I bet.
2: Uh-huh. Like, genuinely,
0: like, unwatchably bad. <laughs> yeah. Because, because the one is stupid, and Jet Li has the range to, like, do that. I would not describe and The also, Rock, particularly in 2001, as an actor with range.
1: And also the ability to do the stunts and stuff. Mm-hmm. That you just need to to make a movie like this charming. Yes. You know? Yes. You need it all to be real. Yes. All, I mean... Within yes, maybe a lot, but like you need it to. You need somebody who can do all this stuff.
0: Yeah, you need it to be believable. There's there's a lot of wire work, but Jet Lee he has a lot of experience doing wire work. It looks good, you know. Yeah. Um, it's so stupid. I can't really like get into it. Like you heard that premise.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it's so stupid. It's so. F- Fucking dumb. I really I need to rewatch this movie because I love it. I haven't seen it it's, in it, okay. Over a decade. I love it. It's five past
0: midnight. We're two and a half hours into this podcast almost, and we haven't talked about uh War in the Pocket yet or the hole. Or I, Turn a. Or Turn A Gundam. I a we might axe the Turn A segment. <laughs> Other than to say we've been watching Turn A and it's really good. It's really good. Um anyway, I say that all that to say, despite this, despite the fact that this podcast probably won't be done until 1 AM,
1: I could watch the one tonight. We could walk out of the studio and watch the one tonight. I have a toddler who usually wakes up around six thirty-seven. I could not watch the one
3: tonight. <laughs> Emily will probably
1: let me sleep in a little bit, but still. Mm-hmm. So anyway, live your life, where you can just sleep in.
0: I mean, I also can't sleep in that much. I gotta go to work tomorrow.
1: Yeah, um, that's still distinctly different.
0: Yeah, totally, definitely. Um, that sounded sarcastic. I didn't mean it sarcastic. Anyway, um... the stairs. I'm gonna give it like a C. I kind of remember some stairs that were all right. You know. Let's let's not do a turn A segment. We've been we've been watching turn A. It's yeah. really fucking good. Um,
1: we so basically, I I just want to do the little yeah story right. of how we got here, which is for a really long time we had talked about oh we should watch turn A. Hmm. You know neither of us have seen it. Uh, great Gundam project. Fucking loved it. Uh-huh. I listen to those episodes, but I don't remember a ton of it because it's very hard to follow just plot synopses for a show you've never seen, especially, especially one that Tomino shows. Yeah. Um. Boy, howdy! I uh, understood a lot of what, more of what was going on, in like, because I think I listened to some of Zeta before mm-hmm. GGP before I dropped that. I was like, I should just watch these. Um. But anyway. <clears throat> um. It just. We recorded a podcast. We recorded an episode of Stairwells where you were like, I just don't watch anime anymore. Mm. I just don't. And you were at your grumpiest about it. I was in a bad mood on You were that, in so. a bad mood about anime in particular. And also in general, <laughs> you were in a bad mood. But I was in a particular, bad particular, you were in a very bad mood about anime. And Turn A has restored my faith in anime. And I was just, you know, and I forget if I started watching Turn a before or after that but it was around the time where we had had conversations off mic too where you're just like i just can't get into anime anymore i just don't really like anime anymore mm. you know and i was like well i'm just gonna start watching turn a we've been talking about how we're gonna see it but like we would watch it together we haven't watched it together uh we have limited time we do podcast stuff with a lot of that time often when we have free time we just watch a movie or something. I'm just going to watch Turney. Then I talk to you some about Turney and you're like, that sounds fucking good. <laughs> I
0: genuinely, I
1: I believe you. If that's how you think it, I,
0: I think I like my, my version of it in my head is that I did this grumpy rant about it, uh, about anime. And then we watched some War in the Pocket, and I was like, damn, I could kind of go for some Gundam right now and just put on turn A.
1: Yeah, and then I talked to you a bunch about Uh, turn A. Oh, yeah. Because we were watching War in the Pocket,
0: and you were telling me about turn A, and I kind of grumpily was like, opened up Nia while you were telling me about turn A and downloaded it. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think even on the the
1: podcast, I joke about that. Okay, Okay. I forgot about that part. Anyway... It was weirdly the in the moment in my head that really did it was weirdly me just explaining details about the turney Gundam itself like why the cockpits in the crotch.
0: Yeah, the other thing is, I don't make gunpla, but like I've seen, I've watched. I don't like watch you build models or something, but like yeah. I'll come over and you're like, oh hey, check out my hiyakushiki is like here so far. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of made me care about the robots more. And so, like, we watched some 0080, and I was like, damn, I kind of care about robots more than I used to. Because, I like, I watched all the early UC stuff from 0079 through Shars Counter-Tech, all of it, thinking, you know, if this was a show about, like, fighter pilots, it wouldn't actually change anything for me. And now I'm like, no, it's got to be robots. I care about robots. Yeah. You know?
1: This is a weird thing about uh gunpla, which is they're on the the ray earth ones. I talk about how I don't really care about robot designs, uh huh. Uh, and I but I like the rune gods because they're characters. They are like given personality and stuff, hmm. and so I care about those designs in a way, and like those robots in a like those mecha in a way that I don't other stuff. Uh, and then after that, uh, they announced that they were doing like rune god motoroids uh-huh. i pre-ordered them and i was like i don't want my very first kits that i build to be like my favorite robots mm-hmm. so i should just buy a few other gunplay kits for like iron-blooded orphans Yeah, just to, to you know just get some high grades mm-hmm. just get my feeding mm-hmm. just you know learn a little bit about how you build model kits before i get these big ones that i care a lot about now I have three kids sitting over there that I need to build after the Hyakushiki, ha- uh, <laughs> and there's like a display case over there with like 15 robots in it or something.
0: This is another thing.
1: I could do the math in my head because I know what I have.
0: This is another thing I mentioned earlier, like wanting to buy a new bookshelf. Part of my, in my head, I'm like, I'm buying a new bookshelf. I'm going to put some robots on there. I could have space for robots. If that was a
2: thing I wanted.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have thirteen in there. Okay, it's a good number. Yeah, unless I'm forgetting some. But um, the so most yeah, annoying just... one I've built has been the scope dog because it was like the wave one and not Bondi. I had to like go dig out my drill set from undergrad to make a hole in it so that I could put a thing in.
2: Earlier today, I
0: was telling you um like. <sighs> I'm so frustrated because I want to be we're doing coffee and comic books and I'm having a great time, but I haven't been reading any comics like that aren't for the show, really. Um, And I was just frustrated. I was like, I want to be reading more comics, but I'm just not there. Right. You know,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I think what I need to do is I need to just like come into one of these podcasts just kind of pissed off. Be like, I hate comics. Comics are stupid. So
1: that then like <laughs> the next week I'll be like, Oh yeah, I read 40 volumes of Yotsuba or whatever.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> like, I'm feeling a little
1: self-conscious about like just how hard I went against how stupid comics are. And so how I just don't want to ever read comics again. I just don't think that I have it in me to read comics. And I've, I thought about how, that was kind of an extreme thing to say. And I think I'm just grumpy about it. And so maybe I should try. <laughs> Yeah, right now I'm in like the the
0: the weird middle stage where I'm like, I wish I was reading more comics, but I can't like harness, I can't like tr- take that, like I can't take. I feel indifferent right now a little bit to into enthusiasm in the way that I could like transfer like a, a- hatred for anime into I love anime again. <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: um.
1: Anyway, turn A is fucking great. If people want to know more about A, go listen to GGP. Also, uh, Connor's been doing his own little private. He's not listening along to Great Gundam Project. He started this before he knew Great Gundam Project was a thing that existed. He just decided one day, I am going to watch through all of Gundam in chronological order. <laughs> um, and there's a part where he just like, in the way that you're talking about with like A Great um, Gundam partisan, Project in the pocket. With with partisan, he fell off of um, victory, even though he was really enjoying it. Mm. And so now he's going back through it. And, mm. But now he's like, you're going to, like, fucking catch up with me. <laughs> the rate that I'm watching this shit.
2: But anyway. Yeah.
1: But when he gets to turn A in that process, we are going to do it for Ghost Divers. And I don't know if we're going to have that much more to say that hasn't been said on GGP. Because... At some point, we'll probably do like 79 O Seventy Nine. We'll do the we'll do the original series, you know. Mm. And I feel like we're going to be able to bring something there that does not exist on those GGP episodes because those GGP episodes they're still figuring out what, what the is, show gu- is yeah, what's the show, what's Gundam, how do we talk about this, what's our critical voice around this. Mm. And I feel like it's like even in like Zeta, they're starting to figure it out, but it still doesn't like fully. So far, my experience going through this and listening is that I think, like, Shara's counterattack is where they're gonna, like, really fucking land on something. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'll be think here it's, in Double Zeta, it's,
0: but... It's in the Double Zeta episodes. Okay. You'll see. Okay. It's...
1: I don't remember where,
0: but somewhere in the Double Zeta episodes, M reads State and Revolution, and, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Claws! Sorry, we have a cat in here. Um... Lem, everyone's favorite podcasting cat. Anyway, he was he was being so well behaved for like such a long time. Um, he came
0: in a little while ago and just kind of took a nap, and then he just kind of like
1: I I didn't alert you to it because I got freaked out, but I didn't want to like add it to the energy of the podcast because you were just talking. Uh-huh. But there was a a house centipede, but Lem got it. So nice. he's our That's hero. I
0: like, I have been seeing a weird amount since the weather turned cold. Yeah, there's a nice there's stuff. always like centipedes in our building like it's just a thing that we deal with um to chicago but it's gone from like i see one a week to like one a day
1: now that the weather's turned yeah so thank you lem um anyway uh yeah i feel like on ghost iris we'll be able to bring like a very different energy to the first series than ggp was able to Mm -hmm. just because they were like still in this process um and we would be coming and watching through it like again being able to talk about all that um i don't know if we're gonna have that much to add for turn a really the reason why i'm like connor when you get to turn a we're just doing it on ghost divers is that i just want to be along for the ride of connor watching <laughs> turn because i just know that that's gonna be fu- it's gonna be fun to sit he's down he's gonna really enjoy it he's gonna love it he's gonna those episodes might go long, really long for Ghost Divers. <laughs> He's going to have so many like notes. Yeah. He's going to have so many questions that I some of them I'll have answers for, but I won't be able to say the answers. <laughs> and that's just going to be a like fun way to spend like half a year. Yeah. It's just being along for the ride of Connor experiencing it for the first time. Um so that's the main reason why we're doing it. It's not that I think we'll necessarily say anything new. So
0: anyway, you want to talk about our main segments now? Sure. Two and a half hours into the recording. Lem, can you not do the thing that you're doing?
1: Lem, please? <laughs> 0080. Uh, so we watched 0080. Keto Senshi pocket. Gundam, double, 0080, Pocket no Naka no Senso.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a 1989 OVA um that it takes place in the one year war we watched it because um it is the Christmas Gundam um uh so so okay i'm going to tell m's history with this um show cuz i i obviously i came to war in the pocket through ggp i was never going to watch this of my own volition if it wasn't for i was loosely following along with ggp kind of sort
2: of a little bit
0: um so my recollection of how m came at the show is they covered it on ggp and had sort of a rough time with it and then a year later watched it all in one sitting and was like like,
1: i feel like they tell the same story on like voip yes they just they just
0: told the story on voip which is a ten dollar podcast so not
1: everyone's heard it that's
0: true but they
1: should because i'm on it they should then they should post in the Discord about how great the part that I on was. I gave people a doll recipe. <laughs> anyway. Yeah,
0: that's no that recipe was a real snooze. Cause it, you gave them a doll recipe, but it kinda sounded like doll. Mm. And so I I made a joke about being a
1: Anyway, so M watched the show... I guess that's funny. (laughs) M watched the show a year later. A year later, all in
0: one sitting, really was taken with it. I had... um, a similar-ish experience. Much more Rocky. Um, So, one of the things that's interesting about GGP is that you hear their critical voices develop in real time over the course of that show, right?
1: Yeah. One of the weird
0: things about me kind of, sort of, tagging along for GGP, not really, was that I went through a similar process, but in more fits and starts,
2: you know? Yeah.
0: And so, I hit War in the Pocket, and where M had a sort of up and down time with it, I had a rocky time. I like did not like I actively disliked War in the Pocket. I was like, oh fuck this show.
2: Fuck this.
0: And then M revisited it and I was like, well, they they came around on it and I listened to the GGPs about it again and I was like, ah, eh, maybe there's something here. So I rewatched it around the same time M did and I was like, Oh, I really liked this. And then I rewatched it again the next year, and because it was just like, oh well this is the the Christmas time Gundam and I don't think Nora's seen it. I'm gonna show it to Nora or whatever the reasoning was. And then Now it's just a thing I do around Thanksgiving, because that's when M rewatched it, and I don't rewatch it with M, but, like, this is just a thing I've started doing the last couple years, is I just rewatched this show around Thanksgiving, and it's, every year I watch it, I, I like it more and more, this is, you know, we watched it over three sittings, we watched the first two, we watched the third, and then we watched the back half, Yeah. Um. And this is the most I've ever liked the show. I think this show is fucking incredible. Um, yeah. What's your experience with this show?
1: Uh, so, for a long time, my image of, like, UC Gundam, hmm. of what I would have probably described of at the time, old Gundam, mm-hmm. was 0080 War in the Pocket and mm-hmm. 08th MS Team. That is a very common thing. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I first got into Gundam through Gundam Wing. I watched that as a kid, uh, when it first aired, so I was pretty young. Um, and I don't even know if I watched that much else other than Wing at the time. But then when I got there's this period that I I sometimes. Talk about it's my like weirdest period of anime watching, but I think it's the part that just made me into the person who likes weird old anime. Mm. Uh, I think that makes sense if you listen to this podcast and you know that I'm a person who will go find weird made for TV, skinamax like yeah. erotic movies and stuff. Um, is that so? For there's like a a summer or two where one of my brothers lived in Chicago, another of my of my brothers lived here for quite a while. Um, and, uh, my grandparents lived outside of Chicago. And so sometimes I would take trips where I would come into Chicago and I would stay with somebody, Mm -hmm. uh, during that period, I would go to this, this, Ollie's in here now, clawing people. Um, I would go to this, uh, video rental place that I think had a, the vibe was that there's a fair amount of bootleg stuff there. Mm-hmm. The covers were not official covers. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a big grab bag when you would go rent stuff from, and this is when I'm in like high school, I have a car I can drive to Chicago for, you know, during the summer for a few days or mm-hmm. something. I would go and I would just pick something out. Cause I heard it or it just sounds interesting or whatever. You know, it it was like purely just whatever grabbed my fancy when I was there, um, and I would watch it and then return it before I went home. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would get a few things, so I felt like I was going to have time to watch a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how I watched four episodes of Pat Labor, the mm-hmm. new the new files.
0: I I I can't help you here with what
1: Pat Labor is what. It's one of the the I think like OVAs. I think it's so cuz I I have a tape that I is, is a VHS that I think is the part the thing that I watched that I found randomly once and I got it because it I'm pretty sure is what I have it for. But so the, I watch. I'll finish my story. Yeah. Then, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um so you know and that was entirely in Japanese no subtitles. Hmm. Cuz this is the other thing is that it was specifically geared towards a Japanese community. So it was very up and down about what I was gonna get. Uh when I got War in the Pocket and o 8 MS Team back then, um both of those had English subtitles. So I watched those. The one other thing, and I still don't know I still feel like I have not gotten to it. I wonder if I'm gonna get the Shars Counterattack, and that's what it was. Mm. There is one other goal like old Gundam thing, and I don't even remember in my head, was in a movie was it a show? Was it a compilation movie? I don't know. But, like, I know that it had, like, Char in it. To some extent. Mm-hmm. So it could be Double Zeta.
0: It, it could, could not, it, it could not be Double Zeta. There's okay. no
1: Char at all in Double Zeta? <laughs> he
0: totally... He's in the OP because he shows
1: up in the show. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, I think Shara was in it. Right. Um, Could have been Shara's Counter Attack or something. I'd, maybe I'll get to F91 and I'll be like, oh, it was F91. That would be the best. That would be the best. Yeah.
0: I want you to watch F91 so bad. I fucking love that movie with my entire <laughs> heart. I'll get there. I
1: know. I just love it so much. It's literally the thing I going to watch after I, I watch know. Shara's Counter Attack. So I need I to get through Double Zeta and then Shara's Counter Attack, and then I'll watch that. I just, and I'm going to do all of that before we get to IBO.
0: I just once told Nora, no, you can just watch F-91. You don't got to watch any other Gundam. You can, this can be your introduction to Gundam. And I just, it one, it worked out. Nora loves that movie.
1: And two,
2: I just love F-91. I
1: just yeah. love it so
2: fucking much.
1: Um. Anyway, part of the product of this... Also, what was happening at this time is that I was getting a lot of DVDs from friends and things, and back in the day, DVDs would come out individually, and if you waited and got a box set, you would save a little bit of money, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. So, if someone really cared about an anime, they would just buy the individual DVDs as they came out. So, this is also how I watched, like, half to three quarters of Razephan, and also Eureka 7, Mm -hmm. and then both of those, I went to to university i never saw that friend again so i never saw the last like eight episodes or you know whatever mm-hmm. um i just feel like i have a lot of stuff that's unfinished mm-hmm. because of this or and this is this is particular when i went to the that rental place is if i could figure out that something was a movie or an ova even if I was going to sit and watch something that was just in Japanese with no subtitles, I'd still sometimes try and gravitate towards those. So when I was able to identify, oh, I know I've heard that War in the Pocket is an OVA. I know that I've heard mm-hmm. um Oath MS Team is an OVA. Mm-hmm. I would I would get those. Yeah. Which also makes me feel like I probably got a movie. Is whatever yeah, that makes sense. Thing that would have I Char feel like it's or either Char- got a like character in it. It's
0: either got to be Char's Counter-Attack or Stardust memory. You know, could have been
1: Stardust. Who knows? Anyway, um, but so that I watched it that one time, mm-hmm. then I watched it this year. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my history. Right <laughs> so, you know, what? and my memory of it was very. This also happened when um, and I had it with this too. So when I watched uh, oh wait, MS team that one I watched on streaming, and then we did it for Ghost Divers afterwards. Um, although the, it just that series falls through my brain like a sieve. Oh, them M S team. Mm-hmm. But so the first time I watched it, I was like, "Oh, I am having deja vu." Mm-hmm. Basically, as I watch this, mm-hmm. I have seen this before, and my brain knows everything now. But not in a way where I know what's coming next. I just know I have seen all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a similar thing when we were watching War in the Pocket, where I'm like, "I don't, I vaguely know how this ends." I know it doesn't end good but like we were watching and I was like I've seen this I'm having sense memories of having seen this Mm -hmm. if you told me that the little kid dies I'd be like yeah sure (laughs) I remember it being sad so sure the little kid dies (laughs) the little kid does not die Yeah, I don't remember the details anyway. well how did you find it this time around it was good Um, the one thing I think so this is the big thing that I, I think I I came to uh, watching it. And some of this is tied into... I'm building Gunpla. Hmm. Which is... I watch... I watch Double Zeta. Or whatever. You know? I'm sure when I go and watch... Iron-Blooded Orphans... Even as like a grittier Gundam... With blood and all this kind of stuff. In a way that I think... Always oh, MS Team is... Or... Uh, War in the Pocket is trying to emphasize. Mm. That like sometimes some of the older ones is obfuscating a little bit more. Um, there's still such a perspective where the thing that you see on the screen is just always kind of the toy thing. Mm -hmm. They're in space or even when they have fights on earth, the scale of it is kind of abstracted Mm -hmm. and it is human bodies fighting. And I think some of that is intentional on Tomino's part. Yeah. You know, especially when they're in space. Yeah. Um, that, that, that skill, you might get the skill difference between different, like, mechs then. But you're not very often really getting this emphasis on the scale between the human and the mech. Mm hmm. Tournei good about this because uh, the whole way that the cockpit works means that lots of times people stand around at the base of the tournei yeah. while Laurent's in there and they're all talking and stuff. And I think that helps as well. You mean Laura? Laura Rolla? <laughs> Um, but so anyway, I, I think when I build gunpla and I hold it in my hand, it's like very easy to think of it as the small thing. Right. And I watch the show and I think sometimes the show makes it easy for me to think about it that way. Uh I think a thing that's interesting with more in the pocket that I haven't always seen, especially up until that point, when I think about the chronology of Gundam is how often you get these perspectives. Like, I was watching it and I was like, oh, truly Anno, like, invented nothing. Yeah. Because you get some of the big towering shots of humans looking up and here's the Ava Unit One. The part where the um what is it? The the camphor. Mm-hmm. When it rises up out of the the building uh-huh. and yeah. you see it in profile. Yeah. That's just the fuck yeah! They, they they traced over that to do Ava Unit 1. Yeah! <laughs> you know? And, and Ava Unit 1's going to do the thing where it's going to, like, further reveal the horror of the machine. But what I think I... is so great about War in the Pocket is that it's constantly... It's constantly, like, sitting on this balance of... This is talking about kids who are really into Gundam and probably have Gundam toys. Uh-huh. And this is about a kid who has, like, this is not playing with like Gunpla, but is essentially doing the more real world one of like playing with badges and these other markers of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is still thinking about this in like a sort of toyetic way that it is playing off the toyetic nature yeah. of these, these suits and then having moments that suddenly intrude into like, no, this is a giant hulking monster that this we are playing now on Kaiju mm-hmm. imagery to then suddenly depict this toy yeah, as a absolutely. kaiju. And I think it's like intentionally doing stuff with that, that I, I haven't seen in the other stuff that I've watched other than I think turn a is the one that gets closest, but it's not as like laser focused on that.
0: I think there's a way, um, the, the color palette of the show. So, so there's two things I, I kind of noticed, or I was hooking into more this viewing than I ever have. Um, and, one of those things is like the aesthetics of the show. And it kind of ties into what you were talking about. The color palette of this show, I think, really harkens back to the color palette of 0079 more than it looks like things that are more contemporary to it. I think it looks more it's obviously much like the the animation is much, quote unquote, better or maybe more detailed is the word. yeah? Higher budget, higher budget. Um, but also,
1: like, even the character designs seem like they're specifically pulling off of the more yes. 70s character designs. Yes.
0: It looks better, air quotes, than 0079 is. But the vibe of it is, I think, deliberately evoking the color palette of 0079, the character designs of 0079. Um, and that that leads to lots of bold primary colors, you know, that have a sort of like that can have a sort of like childlike tone to them, you know? Yeah. The like blue, green, yellow, like there's no there's no brown in this show. There's no gray. Or or when there is gray, that's like a, you know the 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 col like the steel of the colonies is not like gunmetal gray it is like this bright saturated white color you know yeah um all that to say that like i think that that just puts you in the sort of toyetic mode that the show is operating in
1: yeah um and then specifically to try to make you think about that yeah. And again, it's the, and I think this is the thing that comes up uh, on the last episode because I listened to the GGPs about it, where Austin's on and is talking mm. with them too of like, yeah, so someone who's been doing a deep rating of the other series, you were already thinking about this, but a lot of people aren't. And I think part of the strength yeah. of this is very intentionally going, hey, think about that little, that gunplay that you built and that you hold, held in your hand. And now, like, let us intentionally within the show change the scale of that and and make you more aware of the toy that you're holding in, in your hand is within this world like a horrifying war machine Yeah, that, like stomps around and with like each footstep can destroy things. To- and I think A plays on this in interesting ways where like mm-hmm. Laurent is worried about like, oh, if I go this way, I'm going to destroy the forest and I'm scaring this deer or whatever, right? In a way that sometimes doesn't happen in the other shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think there's so much... Else, and I think Ternay is better than War in the Pocket, but there's a lot of else going on there where it's not as laser focused on it.
0: Yeah, um, one of the reasons that I really like F ninety one as an introduction to Gundam is that F ninety one foregrounds all the stuff I find so interesting about new types, and I'm not I'm not going to say anything more about it other than it is a movie that heavily deals with new types and human yeah. evolution and human possibility, and I think similarly. War in the Pocket, um, it is a condensed, highly focused story that zeroes in on like the conflict between the Federation, Xeon, and um, how that, how that um conflict is aesthetized. Are you coming in? There you go. How that, how that conflict um, looks and what the the visuals of that do um you know i mentioned earlier like i watched through so much you see thinking if these were just fighter planes it wouldn't change anything for me and like you know now watching now feeling differently about that and then coming back to the show again i'm like that's absurd how could i think that like the show is about the mechs you know like more in the pocket like the show doesn't function if they're fighter planes. It's about the, the, the robots and the, the, how you want to build the robot. Like it is fun to build the robot. And what does that say? You know? And like, what is that doing to you as a viewer? And, and how is what that does to you as a viewer similar to what that does to
1: Al, the kid living through the war? Um, yeah, it's also one of those things of like like I I have a friend who's really into just airplanes in general and stuff. You know, ki- kids get into like cars and everything and mm. there's toys around and that stuff. But also there's a distinct difference between building a model of a fighter jet but the fight the design of the fighter jet. The fighter jet is designed to work as a jet in the air and to like fly around and kill things Mm. and there are some elements of it that that become through nationalism Mm. all of these things Mm. um become cool yeah kids will want a toy of a fighter jet or to build a model of a fighter jet but part of what gundam is doing is further pushing it towards again that toyatic element that the design of a lot of the robots and Gundam shows Mm -hmm. is designed around creating something that's going to be fun to build Mm -hmm. and hold in your hand. That is the actual, like the form is towards that purpose, but then narratively it is towards violence. Yeah. But by having it towards that purpose, it makes it even easier to then have people identify with their robots that you can talk about. The ways that there are other systems that happen with this that are you know like well so the people who are not going to fall into oh isn't a fighter jet so cool yeah can fall into oh isn't the robot so cool and then yeah. you can still talk about that process
0: so this leads me to the other thing that I I I found so present in my mind on this rewatch um was the ways that this show is um. I want to I make sure I phrase it right. Like, the ways that this show is about. I think it's easy to read this show as being about war is bad. Mm. I think one of the thematic. I think this show has a lot of different, like, thematic things that are playing off each other. You know, for se- being such a short thing, I think there's a lot of stuff there. But I think the thing that I was noticing this time was not that. War is bad, but that, like, this is a society, this is a culture that is. It's not just that the kids think war is cool or whatever, it's that living in the culture that they do, they're being taught that war is cool, you know? Yes. And they're. Wh- why are they being taught these things? So that the war can continue. So that there will be more people to fight the war going forward. Because, you know, you see the, um, the, the... So, you see both the, like, ground-level Xeon guys who truly, like, believe in, like, space-noid independence, and then you see the, um, fascists at the top of Xeon in the One Year War era... Who are taking advantage of the true believers and and um to propagate war forever because they stand to gain from forever war basically um and also those people are going to get all these people killed
3: <laughs> yeah. um
0: and so you see that, and then it's easy to sort to sort of translate that into al and all his friends like are growing up surrounded by war and thinking about. Oh, I want to grow up and become an ace pilot, and I want to kill the Federation, and not not thinking about those things in concrete terms of like I want to do violence, but like oh, I want to like like one of the one of the scenes that I think is easy to read in a sim, in a simplistic way is you see Al has his video game with his little like Nintendo what. Power gun? Uh,
1: it's like a light gun. Light thing.
0: gun. There's a, whatever. It's like Anyways. Zapper. And... Nintendo Zapper, yeah. thank you. I just couldn't remember what the Nintendo branded one was called. He's got his little Nintendo Zapper and he's shooting the monsters then he has a conversation with his mom and he gets pissed off and he starts shooting the hospitals around town. I think it's easy to read that and think, like, or I think it's easy to see that and think, oh, this is about how war is bad or whatever. Yeah. And the thing that I found is so interesting is, like, well, people made that video game for Al to play. And I think the show is aware of, like, that, that video game is a cultural object that is produced and sold to young people like Al to make that, to train them in the use of guns from a very young age. Yeah. And, and the normalization of guns and the normalization of violence. Yeah. You know?
1: And also that, that it is in a, a space where, because this also that scene gets contrasted with when he later goes into an arcade mm-hmm. and sees kids playing war games and then seems upset by it. Yes. After he's been seeing a lot more of the actual war. Yeah. Um but here, because he's sort of just in this process where it's being normalized, it is then funny to blow up your school because uh-huh. you're pissed off at your mom. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and later on <laughs> He then sees the war games and gets this vision of what it would be like to have a, a nuclear explosion go off in his, mm-hmm. um, like hit the colony that he lives mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But then also his conclude he's not coming to like a wars bad conclusion mm-hmm. in that either. One that part did specifically hit for me because one thing that I think is also happening here, and that I. Th- I'm sure hits for Japanese audiences and that hit for me growing up in a family where, uh, you know, I, I hardly knew my mom's side of the family, but my dad's side of the family, uh, was in Germany during world war two. Um, and there, there's just something different about war. I think like the American conception of war Mm. is people go off, and fight wars. Yes. And there's still tragedy around there. There's mm-hmm. still soldiers dying and things like that.
0: But no one in my family had their has had their home destroyed by a yes. war. You know?
1: Yeah. Whereas, like, I just grew up, like, as a small child hearing stories of my Oma, the boarding school that she was living in, being bombed. Mm-hmm. Where they were dropping bomb Christmas mm-hmm. trees, which were ones that would ex- light up in the air so that they could, like fine targets at night and so they're dropping that and everyone in the school they went and to look at the lights because they were pretty mm-hmm. you know these things exploding and my mom and her friend were scared mm-hmm. and they went and hid in the basement and then the the english planes dropped a bomb right on the boarding school mm-hmm. so everyone other than my my oma and her friend died Mm-hmm. And then she had to crawl out through the rebel and dead bodies. Yeah. And then there were planes trying to strafe her. Yeah. While she like ran and got uh, some escape. They were probably bombing because it seems like there's a uh like uh what like POW mm-hmm. camp thing nearby. Because then there were um, escaped French prisoners of war. Yeah. Who helped hide them in the bushes. Yeah. But like that's just like a story that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. It's one of many stories I grew up with. That's honestly not the most horrific thing that happened to my my mm. oma during the war. Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's stories that my opa tells as well, and things like this. Mm. And so some of it too is just like there. There's a reality being depicted there mm-hmm. about war coming to your home that I think uh it hit for me watching it. Yeah. Um. But what I think is also key about this is Al sees that vision. Mm -hmm. Al becomes aware that the war games that he has been playing is about this real war that's like a a tragedy thing. Mm -hmm. But at this point, he has become indoctrinated into ideas of war where his conclusion is, so I will go and help get the Zaku started Mm -hmm. to fight back against. Yeah. Yeah. Like I will become a part of the war effort. Right. I see the horror of a nuclear explosion going off here, and mm. so my response in it is to become more involved in the war effort. Well, and so, like And that's a that's a very specific, like, you know my my uh Opa, when he he was drafted by the army and tried to do like um conscientious observer stuff, uh You know, said he was a pacifist, he knew uh, people in the UK, he had lived in the US for a while, so he had family there and knew lots of people in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, And so their solution was send them to Russia. But he also talks about being like, going through training stuff for the army, being there with your other soldiers, and then having people shooting at you. The the ways that even in that moment there are moments where he was like, Ah yes, to be a German soldier because like to some degree to like mm-hmm. survive, you have to like Yeah. You have to start identifying well, with the so... thing that you are. And you have to think you then have in the midst of all these stories about horrible things that happened to him in the war, also have the time that me and Hans held off, you know. Some some Russians where we got hold of a, a machine gun and so we were able to like hold off a corridor and mm-hmm. oh this like moment of heroism and it's like yeah. yeah and you were also a Nazi soldier but like yeah in order to survive you had to be heroic in this way
0: yeah so like one of the things the video game is like an abstraction of war yeah and I, the reason I I got on, onto this is that like that is representative of the the mecca the 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 ultimate abstraction of what war is in the Gundam universe is like yeah. you know, oh, I'm not killing people, I'm killing robots, it's fine, you know and and that sort of like nationalist belief is another abstraction that like people in the show take up, you know of like yeah. well, I know the people in power are corrupt, but I'm fighting for what I believe in, um and like. Yeah, I'm going I'm I'm abstracting myself out from the realities of the situation um so I can keep going, you know. Yeah. Um and um I had another thought. Oh, yes. And the 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 tragedy that Bernie so perfectly like lives through, I guess, I dies because of, I don't know is that like so Al has that moment uh he see he he visualizes the nuclear bomb going off and he's like oh that would be so terrible i have to do something i have to go reactivate the zaku so i can fight back and that's awful and terrible and it's propagating the same violence you know but yeah. also it's not propagating the same violence the reason all of this is happening is that, like, the Federation, or the, the 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 brass in the Federation, the leaders, are like, we're gonna house the Gundam here on this neutral colony, because we don't think Zeon are going to attack here. And in doing so, invite, like, the power-hungry, like, fascists at the top of Zeon who don't care to nuke this. And all of these people's lives are being like affected by, you know, these leaders who don't give a shit about any of it. And like the carelessness of the Federation that leads that leads to the whole situation. If the if the like Federation cared about the people it's supposed to be protecting for even two seconds, they would not have put this um put the Gundam in a neutral colony. You know? Yeah. But they're using these people as human shields. This is like literally like what that one cop is like grilling at um What's her name? I wanted to call her Alex, but that's what they call the suit. Um.
1: Um. Is so it like Christina? Yeah, Christine.
0: Christine. Um. Christine. Or Christina. I don't remember. Christina McKenzie. Chris. Chris. The the one cop is grilling her about, like, hey, the Federation shouldn't have put a fucking Gundam in this fucking colony from begin with. What are you fucking talking about? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um. And so. Um point i was getting to oh so it's awful that this is true but in the end i think bernie is right to get in that zaku and try to fight the gundam you know yeah like in the end like i think bernie is making the right choice and that like all these other sort of like things happening that are beyond his control have created a world where well, violence is awful and horrible and lots of people may die because of this but it is literally the morally correct thing for me to be doing because like, you know all these forces around me have you know, closed off any possibility that isn't you know, getting the robot, do violence do yeah. war so um... I think War in the Pocket's fucking incredible yeah.
1: Also, I feel like it's like AA plus stairs. Yeah. There's the one where he slides down. Yeah, there's the one where he slides
0: down. It's really good. Yeah. Um it's a six episode anime. There's all sorts of stairs all through here.
2: Don't talk about the hole. Did you
0: I I put it back in the uh English keyboard because I was editing the spreadsheet and I don't want to learn the Icelandic keyboard.
1: I'm pouting. Uh, I am the whole. To not want to learn that. <laughs> the whole, a fucking good movie. Das it's a whole. musical. It's a musical.
0: Uh, so uh, we can go kind of short on this because I think this movie's amazing. But like, I don't know how much I'm gonna have to say about it.
1: It. So part of what I love about Simon Wong mm-hmm. is he he does slow cinema. Mm-hmm. But he knows to keep his slow cinema short. short. Yeah. And so, what it means is that the whole, in terms of, like, what is actually happening here, you could do as a, like, more concise short film. Mm-hmm. I think the some of the slowness here helps it. Yeah. This is one of the things that I also think is great about Simon Long, mm-hmm. is that a lot of his stuff feels like you could do a short film with it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you made it into a feature-length film, a normal feature-length film. Yeah. Gives it a lot of this space that, like, gives it this character that gives a lot of the the joy of slow cinema without you having to sit down to watch, like, a five hour slow movie that maybe has a little bit more going on in it, mm-hmm. but is also just you got to find time to watch that and stuff. So, let me. Whereas get... this is like you can put this on, and the premise is very simple. Uh huh. We can summarize this very quickly.
0: I'll, I'll give this a synopsis for listeners. So this is a 1998 uh, film. Um, it is part of a project. We've mentioned <coughs> in the David Lynch episodes how um, this show, or, or we've mentioned in the David Lynch episodes that there is a French television program called The French as Seen by... Dot, dot, dot And David Lynch does an episode of that show... Um, called *The French Is Seen* by David Lynch, and it's a little like comedy skit thing about a cowboy. There is a similar project with the same funding called *2000 um, as Seen by* dot dot dot. And so, one of the movies that gets produced out of that project is *The Hole*. Uh, so, *The 2000 as Seen by* Simon Long. and Siming Long... um. Doing almost a science fiction y thing at the end edges of this yeah. where he is imagining um a as, pandemic. A pandemic as as nineteen ninety nine rolls into two thousand, um, a pandemic sweeps through Taipei, um that is mostly unexplained in the movie we could yeah. get about what in, what it is in a minute. So
1: yeah.
2: We it,
0: well we could circle back to what this pandemic is but because of the pandemic um like this whole section of taipei is being evacuated and our story is about the small very small handful of people who do not want to leave their homes um in spite of you know the government shutting down um this neighborhood basically and totally evacuating these people yeah and, and essentially and,
1: kind of start to exist in like a quarantine like
0: yes and, and specifically um the government is shutting down all all water service to this area of Taipei however um because it's Taipei and because it's more importantly a Ming long movie it, it every scene in this entire movie is raining and so like yes. you see people like making do with rainwater basically, throughout the movie. The hole, the titular hole, is a hole in the ceiling of uh, one of these people. Uh, she has a hole in her ceiling and above her, she's played by um, uh, uh, um, Yang Kuei Mei. Yes, thank you. Young Kuei Mei. Um, and, and then
1: our boy, Li our,
0: Kang Shang. Li Kang Shang, living in the apartment above her, and Gradually over the course of the movie, their lives become more and more enmeshed until in the end they like have a romance. Yes. It, what that romance is ambiguous. We can talk about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. but that is the, the thing that happens is that they're they're connected by this hole in their ceiling and they kinda hate each other and then they end up falling for each other. Very very chunky express in some ways.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like very uh, like, very abstract, you know? Yeah. Uh, again, like short movie sort of, uh, short film sort of logic.
0: So you made me wondering how is that a musical? My answer to that is that periodically there will be like, uh, oh, these two conversations, these two characters don't have a conversation, but kind of like look at each other from across the hall. And then we suddenly cut away to a musical number. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like about as abruptly as you can possibly imagine
1: um yeah and it's often it's like I think trying to emphasize a certain fantasy thing happening but still within these uh like rundown decaying apartment spaces which um you know simon long loves these spaces well, yeah depicting these spaces these spaces that are neglected by like the powers who could do something about it uh-huh um also so there's a weird thing going on with the the disease as well where so it starts with like flu-like symptoms i think we get a lot of uh tvs on talking about it that's how we mostly find out about the pandemic stuff but it like starts with like flu-like symptoms but then it seems to develop where people start to like take on cockroach qualities yeah not like not like they start growing antennas yeah but like they so she starts getting it the towards ground. the end. Yeah, and she's like crawling around and like hides, like burrows under. Like she's been like stockpiling toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the stuff just very prescient about COVID. Not yeah. the being a little cockroach scurrying around, but the stockpiling toilet paper and <laughs> and, and flu like symptoms and getting a cough and being like, oh shit, do I have COVID? There's, um, there's
0: like a part of this movie where like she has a cough and it's like fine, and then she has a cough later and it's not fine. You yeah. know? Um yeah, this movie just, just feels made for us in so many yeah. ways.
1: Well and also because so we were watching this. Uh-huh. Uh the musical numbers have like a very heavy drag vibe to such a degree yes. where for a part of this movie we were seriously wondering if the actress was trans.
0: Yeah, I So this this movie sort of came into our awareness because it's was part of the uh a queer, queer
1: focused collection on Criterion Channel. I am given yeah, it's like now. It's queer musical. Well, so the other thing is we were watching this and I was like, did we ever get like explicit confirmation if Simon Long is gay? And you were like, we've seen his movies, haven't we? Because All his movies are, <laughs> are very gay. But I, I looked it up and he is uh, openly gay. Yes. Which also explained uh, Lee Kang Shang is not. And I yes. think, like, a running text to a lot of the movies is that there is this, like, clear, palpable desire, unrequited love that Simon Wong has mm-hmm. for Lee Kang Kangsheng. Yeah. That is then being talked about in the movies. Yeah. And is also part of the way that, like, Lee is depicted. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in this, where it goes to the mu- where he's kind of a, like, schlubby guy.
2: Uh huh. Uh huh. But then
1: it cuts uh-huh, the uh-huh. musical number parts. And he's got like his hair all styled. He's got his, his Elvis hair. Yeah. He's got like the swagger and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: He cleans up real
1: nice. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> but yeah, like so the because of this was
0: under the queer sighted, and because maybe I misread something, or maybe there was a like misunderstanding on criterion's end of it, I don't know.
1: Or they they found out something that I did not in my cursory search be able to find about like some of the backup people because like yeah. the thing is even though the actress is not trans s- seemingly the aesthetics of the musical numbers are drag yes like are like Simon Long went to drag shows and put that yes. vibe into those
0: yes absolutely yeah like think think the Birdcage
1: you know yeah like. Camp, there's camp all over the way that the yes oh the way that these uh songs are happening.
0: One of the things that I think is so interesting is is it draws. So there, the musical numbers are all lip syncing to um older songs. There's a specific um singer who's shouted out here who I'm not going to remember her name, and I don't know if it comes up in this Wikipedia article, unfortunately. Yeah, and, but they, oh, Grace Chang, Grace Chang. Um, yeah they're they're, they're lip syncing to Grace Chang's songs. Grace Chang a um singer in um Hong Kong um in the like 50s basically. And so there's a like throwbacky element to all the songs. That I I think it's interesting the way that this movie um dr- draws a line between sort of drag aesthetics and nostalgia for nostalgia for the past and and uh, aware of how queer people are not accepted in that past, you know? Yeah. Um and, and But also
1: an awareness of the way that, like, drag plays on these older aesthetics and these older songs yes. very often.
0: And uh, and Simon Long is not the first person to ever notice that. Yeah. Many, many drag performers have also Deliberately played on that, you know, over the years. But it's just, it's interesting the ways that he, uh, he in this movie is like, we're going to show you something sort of, like, risque, um, and, and tie it to these older, like, aesthetics, and what does that do? What does that, like, convey to you, the, the viewer? You know, one of the, one of the other things, because, um... Size movies are so slow. Is there's so much time for you to think about well, what's this doing for me right now? What is, yeah. what is my reaction to the thing I'm seeing? Yeah. Not what do I think the 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 filmmaker is trying to make me think, but like what, what am I feeling? You know? Yeah. Um, um. God, the the musical numbers in this movie are so fucking good.
1: Yeah. What's your favorite one? Um. The the one where she's starting to cough and has the song, but or like sneeze or whatever, and so the the oh, the song yeah. is about like oh I'm having these like coughs or sneezes or whatever. Someone some suitor must be talking about me.
0: Yeah, right. I'm sneezing because someone's talking about me.
1: Yeah, like that one I loved in in part because it felt like part of the like I could see how that song becomes part of what this movie gets built around. Yeah. Because you totally. have this idea of that song and someone like getting sick in a pandemic and then having these fantasies and doing these like drag performances of that song and you're like contextualizing it in this funny way. Yeah. Uh and then you like extend it out to other ones. But there's also the one where they're um in the the like hallways of their building, which has like a courtyard. You know, like there's mm. parts where she'll like reach out and get water from the rain, mm-hmm. you know, in this like courtyard area it's like kind of an open hallway but there's a song that happens in there oh this is when he's like i think the most greaser yeah that was really good too
2: there's i think
0: my favorite is the very first one um which is the elevator yeah it's a very very like so there's an elevator that opens in an apartment building right i think it's it's the apartment building that we're spending this movie in An elevator door opens, and a spotlight shines down on the elevator, and the song begins, and the camera is, like, about as far away as the camera could be while still able to see the elevator door, and then you just slowly, slowly, slowly zoom in until it gets in, like, an extreme close-up in her face, and she's, like, you know, doing, like, a seductive dance, at the and camera the, yeah and
1: there's these like campy lights in the elevator
0: yeah and stuff it is so cool and then it zooms back out as the song winds down and the elevator closes and the camera returns to its original position um it's so fucking good
1: yeah that's a really good one
0: Simon Long makes movies only for you and me
1: yeah there is a the lengthy other
0: thing that's musical Simon... number that okay Yang Kui Mei maybe sis the other girls in that musical number are not sis and they're just like running up and down a stairwell because because this is the musical number where yankoi Mae's characters decided i'm gonna go tell that motherfucker that he needs to fix that hole um and so it's like her and all the girls are like flirtatiously going up the stairs singing their song and those those other girls are not cis women like, yeah, you okay. can't there is no amount of money in the world <laughs> that would get me to say that
1: at least, at least like one of them is not yeah <laughs> um anyway this is also extremely Simon Long makes movies uh, just for us because this is something we love which is mm-hmm. a movie with a heterosexual romance that is about gay desire yes <laughs> Yes. Yes. We love when a man and a woman are in a movie and fall in love, mm-hmm. and it could be the most, like, you know, basic <laughs> heteronormative thing possible. But we look at it and we're like, this is, this is about shit. the difficulty of reaching a, like, through a heteronormative society to to form a uh you know queer relationship with another person yeah that's what the 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 floor and the hole is representing is the way that like their their lives become intruded in upon each other uh-huh. and they like are able to to cross over even though there's all this difficulty around them mm. there's all this ways that the like society that they have is trying to keep them apart because of this pandemic but there is this hole and like by expanding uh-huh. that hole uh-huh. and moving through it he's able to pull her out and they have the big final dance. Yeah, you know, like dance there. um oh, it's so good. Yeah. Oh my god, this movie's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I highly fucking recommend it. I mean, we've Wait. we've basically told you everything that happens in it, and yet it's still worth your time watching it. We cause... didn't tell them about the cat. That's true. We didn't tell them about you the are convenience in the store. Movie. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in the. Convenience we didn't store. tell them about the exterminators. I did it in case people didn't. Understand what I just said right there. Whenever there's a cat in a movie, I point and go, look, it's you. I didn't know you were in this one.
0: Um, We didn't tell them about um, the one guy who is in both Dragon Inn and Goodbye Dragon Inn. I forget that actor's name, unfortunately. He is in this movie trying to buy a can of beans in what is maybe my favorite scene. (laughs) Meow Ten. Yeah. Uh or Mao Uh. Um, yeah. I just mixed that up in my head. Um <laughs> Yeah, he he's he's only in one scene in this movie, but he's a real showstopper. Um I just I just I fucking love Simon Long movies.
1: And and man, is- so I just clicked on this, another one that he's in with Simon that Simon Long directed. What time is it there? And I'm just like, oh, look, there's a movie theater. There's a woman sitting in a bed. Oh, this movie's gonna be great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, so here's the thing that I feel like: "Rebels the Neon God." That's an episode where we go real long and really dissect everything that that movie's doing, and we kind of do that with "Goodbye Dragon." But there's a point we hit in our "Goodbye Dragon" in episode where I'm just where we're both just like, the movie's slow as shit. But it's 90 minutes. Just go watch it. Like, it's a really slow, boring movie. But it's 90 fucking minutes. What do you gotta lose? What were you yeah. doing with that time? Were you gonna go watch fucking Eternals? Because that's two and a half hours.
1: Fuck it's you. It's not as
0: good. It's de- oh, it's definitely not as good.
1: Eternals would never have like a five minute scene of just a woman walking around in a giant abandoned theater sweeping. Yeah. So
0: so like Simon Long. Everyone makes... is
1: like that scene in the Return where uh he's sweeping. Nothing compared to Simon Long movies. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> David Lynch is a fucking coward. <laughs> David Lynch cut so much earlier than he could have. Yeah. Um, imagine if before that man gets into the bar to do the sweeping, you see this really extended part of him just slowly walking around like back rooms, trying to find the broom.
0: Semi-long <laughs> <laughs> <It, it, Simon laughs> things, really slow, boring movies, but they're all just ninety minutes. You just gotta go watch the whole. It's, it's his, it's his least slow, boring movie because there's a bunch of musical numbers to break it yeah. up.
1: M, you like Every... musicals? Go watch this. I know. So the thing is, this is no longer on the Criterion Channel. We watched this because it was leaving at the end of the month. We meant to watch December. this in fucking June, and we never got around to it till now. But still, y'all know where to find stuff like this. M, you like musicals? Go watch this.
2: I'm not. I'm not.
1: I'm
0: not. I'm not talking to M. I don't really care what they do. <laughs> I'm talking to. I just dog. think M should watch this. I think M would like this. I think. Yeah. I think if you. I think if you were intimidated by the prospect of a slow, boring movie in the way that this movie is slow and boring, I do genuinely think, like, there's a musical number every 15 minutes to break it up. So, sure, you're going to watch a guy stare at a wall sometimes, but, like, if you think that's slow and boring, just wait for a musical number to roll around. It's sooner than you think.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It will definitely come when you don't expect a musical number to suddenly happen.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's an otherworldliness to the music numbers throughout this that are just, it's so good.
1: Yeah. So good. The fact that this is, this is the wettest, wettest Simon Long movie, which is remarkable because they're all pretty fucking wet. Yeah. But again, it is constantly raining. If there is a window anywhere nearby, if there is any, I, any chance that this is a, a outside wall. Uh Uh-huh. Even if you don't see the rain, you're going to hear it in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This entire movie exists in the final scene of Goodbye, Dragon Inn. Yeah. (laughs) God.
0: I love this movie so much, dude.
1: Let's get out of here. Let's do plugs. Uh, Okay. Where can we go find you? You can
0: find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal... Um, like I say, I've been doing little roundup posts where I share everything that's been happening on the n- network for the entire week. So, hope folks um, check that out. Um, and then if you go to exportodd.io, that'll take you to our Patreon page. It has all sorts of benefits. I've outlined some of them over the course of this podcast, and I'm getting pretty tired, so I don't want to really do it in full right now. Uh, we did not rate the stairwells for the whole, but we talked about it. It's Ness. Yeah. There's a there's a big musical number.
1: They do a, a a queer drag musical number in a staircase.
0: Yeah. There's the man makes movies only for you and me. <laughs> yeah. He imagined his perfect viewer. And then like the secret just constructed us into the world somehow. Like you were already born before he was making movies, but I wasn't and you know I, I it's it's amazing how much
1: these are just movies for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's still something about Rebels of the Neon God. that's just special to me. Oh yeah, totally. It's it- part of it is that it's just the first one that I watched. But it can- Rebels of the Neon God is way better than this movie. Where can people find you online? People can find me at FoxMomnia on Twitter and co-host. Go listen to all my other podcasts. Uh Around the Long Fires, the new one. That's a on- abnormal mapping we read-through sagas. It's good. Um, if people want, like, a single episode, you can go listen to the Hravenkel saga one. Uh, that's H-R-A-F-N-K-E-L. Uh-huh. Hravenkel. Yeah, Hravenkel. Um, But that's a... Uh, that's, like, a short saga, so it's just one episode. We just read the whole thing. Um, And I think it's a good one for, like... An introduction to what Icelandic sagas are going to be and all of that. Um, it's not quite as like rollicking fun as some of the Volsunga saga ones because they were just having fun with weird myth stuff, but it's still good. Anyway, uh, you can also go listen to Ghost Divers, my anti podcast, or Pondering Poutan, uh, which is the hangout podcast with a time limit.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Let's Let's the time limit really is the best part of that podcast.
0: You I don't say, uh, think it would work that way. You say as we cross three hours and twenty five minutes of this recording.
2: Okoro is real. Okoro is real.
1: Buttons
0: hit that slurp sound means that you, my friend, are in the no homophobia zone oh. we're sipping gin and tonics. this is gonna be a long episode, so I didn't want to do too much of a long no homophobia zone, but i just, I thought of something I wanted to say a minute ago, and so I thought I would put it on air. um can I be mildly sentimental? I guess um, <clears throat> so I was clearing off space on the ironing board where we record um. And, um. Right behind me is a big stack of five volumes of Witch Hat Atelier, which are my volumes. Mm. Um.
1: I haven't read them yet. They just kind of sat in here. Yeah. I, I have your big fucking, fucking massive,
0: like, Stephen King ain't got nothing on Dave McKean, um,
1: copy of Cages on my shelf it's, right now. It's tall and wide. Like, yeah. It's a thick book. Yeah. But also, like, it's a large. Like, I feel like they're blowing up, like, floppy pages in the process or something. Yeah. So... Because it was originally published as floppies. I took a... I took... I took your copy of Cages
0: off your hands for you because I had shelf space for it and you didn't. I need to get a new shelf. Um, but I'm running out of uh, space. And also... <laughs> I was talking to my mom <laughs> over the weekend and I was like, yeah, I kind of want to get a new shelf... But I've got this corner where I want to put that new bookshelf, and there's a bunch of crap in that corner right now, and I need to deal with all that before I um, can put a bookshelf there. And my mom rightfully pointed out, well, what if I bought you the bookshelf to give you a kick in the ass to actually clean up that corner? Because it sounds like (laughs) you're never going to clean up that corner if you don't have a reason for it. And I think she's probably right.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Also, you know what'd be useful for that shit in that corner to go on? Huh. A bookshelf.
0: Yeah. <laughs> A lot of that is uh books. Yeah. <laughs> in those boxes there. <laughs> um so um anyway, talking about books, talking about. Abolgies of
1: what I'm going about to do is gonna make weird noise on the mic, but every time that uh autumn comes in and gets the laptop oh. set up because I'm doing uh dishes Uh, they do it where the cords are, like, in front of the ironing board, and it just always annoys me. Okay,
0: I will keep that in mind. You'd never mention that before, otherwise I wouldn't do it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those things that I don't think to mention, but then I'm in here, and it's set up that way, and then my, like, I don't know, like, the cords touch me, and it upsets me. (laughs) No, no, no,
0: I... I had a similar conversation with somebody at work the other day where they were like, You're doing this thing that would annoy that's really fucking annoying me, and I was like, Okay, I'll stop. And they're like, Oh, thank you. And I'm like, Yeah, if you were doing that thing to me, it would fucking annoy me. I just hadn't really thought about your feelings. <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, and similarly, if I had thought about how I wanted the cords set up, the chords being in
1: front would annoy me. But yeah. it hadn't crossed my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's one of those things where sometimes, too, I wonder if I'm slightly OCD. There's also things of, like, whenever I listen to music, uh, for some, they, they took away showing me the numbers mm-hmm. on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. And it means that now I can set it to any... I can push the button to some point, and my brain doesn't know what point it is, and so that's fine. It just sounds fine. But in my car, it gives me numbers. And so it's all... It's never. It's always fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. They give me little spaces in between, mm-hmm. but I'm never going to use them. It always has to be, and on so, the old, on the old, um, like we're so far afield of I, the thing I yeah, want to talk about. <laughs> on the old, uh, not not, I what, what was the before, like iPhones, Blackberries, the, no, like PDAs beepers? No, it, just Flip to phones. listen to music. iPods. iPods, yes. My brain got stuck on iPads, and ah. I couldn't I couldn't get there. Um, on that, the way that it was set up was like 16, I think. It was mm-hmm. like 16 breakdown. So then everything yeah. had to be 4.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was like I would listen to it at 4, 8, 12, or 16.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I
0: definitely have OCD, CD. Um, and my... I've been having a really, I've been having a really bad week of it. I've been, um, a bad month of it. Um, I've noticed that, like, I drive to work now, I don't walk to work anymore, and one of my really nasty, um, OCD habits is that I have to, if I'm sitting behind a car, I have to add up, um, the numbers on their license plate to see if it's a multiple of three. I have to do it with every single car that I'm, like, behind for more than, like, 30 seconds, basically. Um, Which does mean I'm very efficient at it, but it's really annoying to have to do that all the time. (laughs) Anyway, my thing with the volume on the car stereo is not fives, because I find the gap between 35 and 40 way too big, especially because I've been really annoyed. Google Maps... Google Maps do... is
1: quieter now, I feel like.
0: Oh, I have the opposite problem. Oh. Where where I'm listening to to, you know, my I'm listening to just king things and Michael and Cameron are talking here in nice normal volume. And then Google Maps is talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> um and so I have to be very diligent about where I set like the 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 volume because like I have to be able to hear them but I have to not go deaf every time Google Maps starts talking and like the gap between like 35 and 40 on the volume of my car too big of a gap so my brain sickness is that it has to be a prime number so 31 37 um like 41 that's where I have to put the numbers at to to not yeah. be miserable <laughs>
1: You study math and it just made your stuff weirder. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, like nice, even divisions. Just like cut it up nice and even. And you're like prime numbers, M- multiples of three. <laughs>
0: I sometimes try to do um, with um, license plates. I see I try to do multiples of 11, but that's trickier. I have a lot of like. Quick tells to see if something is um, a multiple of three. I can I can ignore three, sixes, and nines. I know like two and four pair up. I know like you know if it's whatever. I can't do that as easily with multiples of eleven because the way to the test to see if multiples of if something multiplies to eleven is just like a little more involved. Also, it's only a one in eleven chance that any given number is a multiple of eleven, so it just never works out, Um, and so it's just
1: not worth my time.
3: Yeah,
0: I mean none of this is worth my time. Anyway,
1: <laughs> I just remembered at one point I don't know how this came up, but we, uh, I think you and I both re- like learned that the other one also, as a kid, laid awake at night one night and figured out the uh, smallest number of coins to carry to be able to give exact change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four pennies, two
0: dimes, one nickel, and three quarters. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. Anyway, <laughs> I wanted to talk about something nice. Yeah. And fun so you're and not oh, my various OCD manga. triggers. Yes,
1: manga. At first, I thought it was gonna be my, my wonderful old book. No, should people listen to around a long fire? I mentioned, but I got it out to take photos from. I'll probably read a little bit from it just to like check some things. But this one is old enough that I mean it's in decent shape, but I feel really self-conscious whenever i'm handling it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um my other my other one that i have that's like uh similar text inside where it is uh in the icelandic with like german footnotes and stuff um was published in like the 50s or 60s or something it's for Njal's saga instead of um what are we reading next my my brain's been mush lately so anyway, like Stylo Saga, I was about to check the book. Uh, anyway, the the other one is more recent, so it's a little bit better shape. Anyway, um, the nice thing that you wanted to talk about, nice wonderful thing, which is just that, like, can I interrupt you? No. <laughs> which is just that, like, um,
0: I was like, oh, those are my those are my witch hats. I forgot where those had run off to. Um, me. <clears throat> And like I saw that you had my copy of Witches earlier. Shout out to Aiden, letterer of Witches, mm-hmm. letterer of um, a uh, manga adaptation of Les Miserables. People should go cop that. Um, this the that is a that is a thick friend. I've been thinking about picking that up, but that is a. Big boy, that book, um, as Les Miserables always want to do.
1: Uh, Aiden, I hope you've been paid for both of these projects by now. Seems like uh, stuff's real slow paying in that world.
0: Yeah, seems like uh, invoicing uh, manga companies sounds like a pain in the ass.
1: If you're listening to this and you're in charge of paying people who do lettering for your comics... Uh, stop listening right now and go pay them.
0: Yeah, just go write that check. Then you
1: can go back and listen to us.
0: Yeah, but... thank you. <laughs> um, I was just feeling sentimental because for, oh gosh, I don't know, probably 15 years of my life, I was in a situation where because of like divorced parents and, and various other circumstances, um, I did not really live anywhere for more than like, six months it would be like at my dad's and then i would like you know go spend the summer at my mom's and then you know well at some point i was living in a dorm and then i would go back to my dad's and then to my mom's and then back to the dorm and there was a there was like 15 years where i did not live anywhere for very long um i was feeling very sentimental because i just re-signed the lease that i have on the place that um I'm living now for the next 16 months. I'm locked in there through 2024. I will, unless something goes horribly awry, I will probably re-sign that lease in 2024. Um, I mean
1: the the one other option is if like you get some sort of pay raise or something, or Nora does or something, and then you all want to look into two bedrooms so you have like a more of a podcast. Yes, space. that but... is
0: that is the thing, and I like the building I'm in a lot. I like the um uh the part of town that we're in a lot. And so that has crossed my mind, and the thing that comes to my mind after is, well, when it's coming, like, you know, a couple months before our lease ends, I'll probably get in touch with our landlord and just be like, hey, are there any two or three bedroom units in this building that we can move into?
1: Probably two bedroom. Yeah. As someone who might be looking into a three bedroom condo at some point, and condos obviously are going to be different, but... Three bedrooms in Chicago are they're they're built for multiple roommates.
0: There there is a there is a potential living situation on my horizon that would necessitate a three bedroom. That's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's
0: true. That is that is so hypothetical that it's not worth addressing. I just defaulted to saying yeah. three bedroom.
1: But would be extra roommates of a sort. <laughs> uh anyway, um for context, I want a three-bedroom place so that I have a bedroom, I have an office slash guest spot, and then mm. we have one for our toddler.
2: Mm-hmm. But.
0: Um, anyway, um, toddler, kind of like a
1: roommate of sorts. Yeah, Nora but and I not having not, a child. Does not pay rent. <laughs> uh, crucial about uh, children is they do not pay rent. Even... Like, a, a, even an adult child who needs to live in my home is not going to pay rent. I'm not going to be my fucking kid's landlord. That's psycho behavior to me. I know I know many parents that have done that. It's psycho behavior to me. To to say mm-hmm. to your a child, your adult child who is struggling to, like, mm-hmm. make it in the world, well, you still need to pay rent here. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: I'm
0: Psycho not- behavior. <laughs> I'm not commenting on that. Um,
1: <laughs> we all we all know that your parents are psychos. I've... <laughs> anyway. One of your parents in particular.
0: I was just feeling sentimental because that moving situation a lot meant that I did not accrue many belongings. Or that there was a time when I was a teenager that I did accrue many DVDs and books. And then um, when I went to college got rid of, or my, I decided to sell those things, or those things were disposed of on my behalf, maybe against my wishes. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I was just feeling very sentimental about the, like, Blake Schooner book exchange program, about how, like, books just kind of move back and forth between our homes, and how I am accruing more books again, and more DVDs. I have, like, I got uh, Blu-rays from the Criterion sale this week of um, Lost Highway and Cure that I need to put on my shelf. But I haven't even put on my shelf yet because I've just been kind of like looking at them sitting on the coffee table. and like, I own those now. Those are things that are important to me. I mean, I haven't seen Lost Highway, but, you know, um, it's just nice. Just nice to own things and nice to collect things. It's enjoyable. Yeah. And I was feeling sentimental about it as I was just like, As I was like, you know... Oh, those are mine. Those are mine, and they're here, and I'm fine with them being here. Because that's the other thing, is I've had many friends throughout my life who... Possessions have moved back and forth between our homes, and they did not sort of flow back eventually in the direction that they were supposed to. At, At one point, I owned Afro Samurai DVDs that I didn't purchase... I don't remember who the fuck gave me Afro Samurai DVDs, but it was definitely a like, "Hey, go watch this this weekend, and uh, you know, give them back to me." And I never fucking did that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do need to read all the manga you've given me. I'm just people will hear this in the main episode. Mm. I am uh, busy and stressed right now, so that's probably gonna be um, maybe over the holiday. Yeah. definitely New Year. Here's the thing: in the New Year.
0: I suspect that much like me, when you start Cross Game, you will finish Cross Game that same week. I there is a there is a readability to Cross Game, whereas like Witch Hat, Witch Hat you can hang on to for a while because I know like for me, I like to read a little bit of Witch Hat, really take it in, really like relish in the the detailed art that um. Uh, her name is on the tip of my tongue, and I can't read that book, but I want to say Shirahama. Um, if, forgive me if I got her name wrong, um, but I really want to just like take in her art and and sit with it, um, as opposed to Adachi's art in in Cross Game, very deliberately like is incredible, and also is like just sparse enough to keep you flipping to the next page. Yeah, so that like. When I started Cross Game, I just had to finish it within a few days because it was just like, well, like I don't know what happens next. I gotta know what happens next. I gotta yeah. know what happens next. So I'm not really pressed about you having my copies of Cross Game right now because it's like, yeah, you know, it, one of these days, sometime before like 2024, you will read Cross Game, and then you'll you'll read it quick. I suspect. Yeah. I think it'll press your buttons in the same way it pressed mine.
1: Um, I mean, I think. Maybe I'm off because I haven't read it, but I feel like similar to Yazawa Ai in that she also <clears throat> has good art, but is often knows when to like not even draw backgrounds or just yeah. do simple backgrounds that I took a photo and changed in Photoshop or whatever. Adachi,
0: Adachi does this incredible thing where he'll... He reminds me a lot of um, who... I don't remember the artist on Yotsuba. But you know how, like, Yotsubo will have a page where yeah. there's, like, one really incredible background drawing of, like, a fence or something, Yeah. you know? And you're like, wow, that is the most beautiful f- fence I've seen. And then there will be, like, four other panels on that page that are just, like, character in a void, you yeah. know? Um, Adachi does a similar thing of, like, when he draws a background, damn, it's a hell of a background. But when he's... When he's pulling in to focus on characters you don't need that shit
1: yeah get that shit out of here (laughs) um i was checking the his his given name kiyohiko Hmm. but azuma as in Azumanga. yeah okay i i i was like it's it
0: it, i knew the last syllable was ma because it goes into manga but then I, could, I just couldn't get the first two
1: anyway i didn't want to actually interrupt while you were uh talking about the sentimental thing mm-hmm. that's like kind of sweet mm-hmm. and nice and mm-hmm. um you know then we got on to a little tangent where we yeah, were talking yeah. about like cross game and stuff uh-huh. uh but it is funny to me how you say schooner what what do i say it's it's just such a it's just such a like uh anglicized ear or schooner schooner Shun hair. Shun hair. So you're making like an O shape with your mouth. Like you're going to go O, oh, right? But the sound that you push through that, you're with your internal mouth, with like your tongue, you're going eh. You're making an E sound. Can I tell you? So can you go eh. Can I tell you something? Schoenher. Can I tell you something that I was doing? And then it's ha. I was washing dishes yesterday. But also lots of people have trouble with this, so... It, with people in English where we just don't want to bother having to, like, deal with the actual German name, we just say Schoner. <laughs>
0: I was washing dishes yesterday. Yeah. And I was standing there being like, Neve, Neve, And j- just rehearsing in my head, how do I say your name as if I would, like, Neve shown her, like, as if I was your, like, disappointed mom, (laughs) (laughs) who had discovered that you, like, got into the cookie jar (laughs) just because you give me so much bullshit on this podcast (laughs) that I needed to, like, practice in my head a way of sounding disappointed and upsetting you.
1: The part is take advantage of the lilt if you're trying to, because it it gives you the rising air. Yeah. So you'd be like, (laughs) Neve. You kind of in the lil you when you go up, you just keep going up. And that's how. That's how Emily says it. She knows how to. <laughs> <laughs> she knows how to say it in a way where she's. uh, I'm in trouble and I need you to come. <laughs> You're such a child.
2: <laughs> you <should>. <laughs> <laughs> child
1: yes you are
2: you <laughs> said <laughs> when you're in trouble and you need to come <laughs> that's
1: funny fuck you come this come that why don't you come up with a better joke
0: speaking of emily thank you emily for pushing us to record this episode tonight i
1: think it was the right call yeah uh let's get into the episode okay We i was gonna say we could say this at the, well we'll do it at the beginning of the episode We'll do it at the beginning of the episode. So yeah. we'll explain why we're not why we're not yeah. doing Twin Peaks and that we had two options. We yeah. consulted with two people. Yeah. We went with the one who's in this in this uh apartment at what? this moment. But I think both of them I'll say this when we start the episode. But I think both of them have ulterior motives.
0: I I think Emily had um a better reasoning than Em did. Yeah. But we'll get into
1: But they yeah. also have ulterior motives.
0: Oh, yes. Both yeah. of them have ulterior motives. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, we'll do a little pause so that you can take this for noise removal. Uh, you
4: know, uh, for sure. uh. <laughs> oh, I 他一定要我同意他一定要我同意